Sigmar's story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path to chaos and forge our own narratives in the age of Sigmar. Your allies on the Crusades this episode are... Hey, I'm Paul, and uh, did you know that Toto did a song for this book specifically? Uh, I miss the rains down in Viridia. <laughs> Uh, hey, I'm Paven. Uh, long time. Uh, here for a good time. Uh, what did the Morrow Scroll Herald say to the farmer? What? I got some bone chilling news for you. Your crops are dedicated to Nagash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Will, and we're talking about, actually, we're talking about Guy Rand, but honestly, these are just two sides of the same coin, Malleus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm Aaron, and uh, the new rule is. Once Paul starts singing, he's going to have to take the coin. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> and in this episode, we covered the lore of Dawnbringers, Harbingers, uh, call us the ringers, though we never linger. The mortal realms, always the flinger and slinger of zingers and stingers that make you ringer your fingers. Charminger and Cunninger were the singer of this humdinger rumspringer for the dawn and its bringers. Two things. One, I know that Harbinger doesn't rhyme with it. They just look very similar. I know the difference, guys. Don't don't write in. Second of all, I realize that that description doesn't really summarize what we're going to be talking about here. But instead, we're going to be talking about the Dawnbringers Harbinger book, which is the first of what seems to be a series of new campaign books that we get every once in a while uh, in the age of Sigmar. And who better to join us but Paul, Will, and Paven. So tonight, how are you all doing, uh, my fellow takers of the coin? I am partying like we are leaving tomorrow. <laughs> I get that. Um, <laughs> right on. So we're here. I'm excited. These are my favorite episodes of these um, campaign books. And so I'm really mm-hmm. jazzed uh, to get into it. But we yeah. will have to pause. I will have to wait just a little bit longer because uh, we got to get we got to get through some um, administrative work is maybe more what yeah. I'm looking for, which is what I consider hobbying. Hey, guys, what, uh, what have you all <laughs> been up to in the hobby? Um, grunt work, really. Uh, Paul, tell me what, what you've been doing hobby wise. I have been working on um, some Seraphon because I got the uh, the Croxagore, uh, thanks to GW, and I started painting one, and I was like, I, I kind of just want to paint them all. I really like the color scheme, so I'm uh, going to finish those off before I move on. So having some fun with them. Did you do the Crocky Croxagores or the less Crocky Croxagores? I did the Crocky Croxagores. Nice. I'm sure they have a name, but Will, hey, what uh, what you been up to in the hobby? I have been painting some Flesh Eater Courts. Uh, grateful enough for Games Workshop to send us the new Regiments of Renown box, including the Marrow Scroll Herald. And I think I painted that guy in 90 minutes, which yeah. is the fastest for me. But it looks so great. I saw the picture. Yeah. yeah. It's like Aaron, he gave me the box and like two hours later, like, guys, look, a model. <laughs> and it was pretty late at night. Did it too. Um, yeah, I was just super excited. Yeah, right on. Very cool. Yeah, I, I love that guy. Hey, Paven, what you been up to in the old hobby? And this is weird because I was literally listening to your voice not an hour ago, and we'll talk about that. Why? Maybe you'll talk about it. But um, go ahead. I mean, it's not too strange for a friend to hear another friend's voice. But <laughs> yeah, no, it is for me. <laughs> Normal. I, I avoid most um, outside contact. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. So uh, I've been I've been really excited about 40k. Boo, boo. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been painting up a bunch of Eldari guardians, which are I think they're turning out really well. Um, but they're, it's going slow because I don't know. I like my my elves to have really clean clean paint scheme. Sure. Uh, spoiler alert: I haven't gotten to that point in the episode yet. So now you okay? Now I can just stop listening. Now I don't need to <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Um, so for listeners, for those of you who don't know, cause it's hard to, 
uh, advertise this, but um, Paven's been doing a little little Patreon exclusive show. Not little, a great, big, huge. It's, it's, yeah, it's uh, fantastic. It's the biggest hit um, with his brother. Um, the two of them getting back into or into in the first time um, Warhammer 40K, which is not normally something I have any interest in. And yet here I am listening to... 40k podcast um which is fantastic i know the name but let's pretend like i don't pay me what's it called it's called the warhammer bros it sure is podcast yeah and listeners if you're interested in something like that uh any any patron level at any level for patronage on patreon.com slash the mortal realms um you too can listen to this fledgling but going places uh little podcast it's very cool even i'm listening to it um fun little plug all right uh i'm aaron what have i been doing in the hobby still working on Warcry cry train at this point i think i'm on the third box currently finally uh which will be my downfall because that's the one with all the bamboo walls and stuff and i hate them so much um and then i did start putting together the herald of something something the nurgle guy on a horse that we also mm. have from gw as part of that uh vanguard box um it's written in the notes i'm sure the name's in there somewhere uh but there's way more pieces than i thought there would be um it's surprisingly not fiddly but um intricate so um i do have a fair number of nurgle guys put together so he will join uh his gray brethren uh on the shelf once i am done um so that's me in a nutshell in a gross plagued nutshell uh any other things that folks have been up to that they want to chat about cool and great and cool um we're still not quite at the story phase because we speaking of plugs um here comes a few more that you have to listen to if you want to get to the juicy part the juicy center of this episode um where i'm going to tell you about the mortal realms despite the fact that hey listeners you probably know all this stuff already um but you can find more episodes of this podcast and all of our other shows and they just keep multiplying at this point um at themortalrealms.com uh, you can email us your feedback, and please do that. I'm begging you. Even if it's bad feedback, I don't care. I can click the delete button just as fast as I can uh, read a uh, good email. Nope, lost the thread on that one. Um, mm. But you can email us at mortalrealms at gmail.com. No the. Um, I don't know who owns the the mortalrealms at gmail.com, but it might not be us. Um, so <laughs> be careful what pictures you send to that email address. Uh, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash the mortal realms, like I said before, uh, to support the show, to get early releases of the story phase, which is this show, get access to exclusive content like the pocket realms, which is a different show that I do with Davey. Um, and then now the Warhammer bros um, with uh, Haven and his brother. I mean, yeah. there you go. Um, and if you can't or don't want to, which is totally fine, pitch in uh, monetarily, then by all means, head on over to your podcast service of choice. And give us a review. Um, for those of you who listen on Spotify, you're catching up to Apple at this point. Kudos to you. Um, I'm more of a fan of the green myself. Um, so give us a little review. Give us a star rating. Do whatever feels right. Uh, and then go ahead and tell a friend or an enemy or an acquaintance or your barber um, or the guy at the checkout line at the grocery store about the mortal realms uh, because it really helps quite a bit and appreciate it i literally was just telling people about the mortal realms on a bike ride on friday so you know anywhere it (laughs) it literally is so portable you can have a discussion anywhere god i have such like distant embarrassment from that like i have like uh i'm gonna i'm gonna lie in bed like awake thinking about that conversation Uh, my wife has friends over right now and i had to excuse myself to do this very thing they're like aaron where are you going i'm like oh i don't frankly don't want to tell you people where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> but i did uh so there's that um and then the final thing i want to say before we get 
to the cool part of this episode is I do want to thank GW for sending us this book and all the other books that we've in recent memory um, to read and review and to share with the listeners like you folks. Um, it's very kind of you. We really appreciate it. And so this will be our, our take and review of that. So uh, thanks. I think that's probably it. Does anybody else have any other housekeeping type things? Or no. Paul, will you, will you take us where we want to go? The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. We sure do. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's good to be reminded of like what, why we're doing what we're doing here. Um, all right, Dawnbringers, Har- Dawn, Dawnbringers Harbingers. I wonder if they had to go back and forth on like the name there, right? Like those words are very similar. And did, did anyone put up a stink? Did anyone fight about those two words next to each other in terms of the title? I, I who's their editor? This may sound ignorant, but I wonder if it just it sounds does. better in British English. Don't bring us hall bingers. I don't, I don't think so. I'm not. I'm not getting it. Nope. Yeah. Never mind. There was something I cut out, but I'm leaving it in. I think. <laughs> Very good. Uh, right on. So uh, what we've got here, and, and actually I'm going to bring this up because it seemed as if when we were talking to the folks in the Discord that maybe folks don't necessarily know what this book was, was, was meant to be, which I guess is why we do shows like this. Yeah. Um, I assumed what this was, and I assumed correctly, which is to say another uh, in a series of campaign books leading up to um, some presumably big event. Um, like last time it was the... Uh, Oh gosh, Broken Realms leading up to AOS 3.0. They didn't necessarily have campaign books in the same sense for like Soul Wars, but it like it, it there's these big events that keep happening in Age of Sigmar, and a lot of times they do this run up um, with camp- campaign books like this. And so uh, that's what we're seeing here. It's not a battle tome or anything like that, but more of like a supplemental material. Um, but ideally, these sorts of things move in a perfect world, they move the story forward. Um, and so it's good to get caught up. It's good for us to reflect on the things that have happened thus far so we know where we're going. you got to know where you've been before you know where you're going. And to that end, I would ask you guys, in your opinion, what are some things that folks ought to know um, from the story or elsewhere, I guess, um, before coming into this book? What do they need to have What, what do they need to have packed in their bags already um, for this journey? Um, one thing that it's important for people to know that may get lost in a lot of the narrative, especially in the third edition of Age of Sigmar, which is the realms are still mostly controlled by not Sigmar and not forces of order. And when the story kind of kicks off, we're seeing more of that. It's easy to get lost. I'm like, oh, a new Stormcast battle tome. Sigmar is doing great. Rewind a little bit. He's doing great in some areas, but not every area. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of setting the stage for what we're going to see. I agree. Paul? Um, I would say the 3.0 core book. Because it goes into all kinds of detail about what the Dawnbringers are. And I think that's super helpful for you to understand what's going on uh, with this. If if you haven't read that yet, it's just like, oh, there are these things and then they do things. Uh, great. That sounds interesting. I've never heard of it before. Right. You know, so. Yeah, I think Paul makes a great point. If this if you are brand new to Age of Sigmar and this is your first Warhammer podcast, Probably don't start with this book. Uh, <laughs> dropping you right in there. Uh, unless you really like that experience of just like kind of wild stuff happening. You don't know what's going on. Uh, but yeah, the it, the core book is a really great primer. Um, yeah. 
If you really like the idea of having rain come down from one side and rain come down from the other and then battling floods in the middle and you're right in that center point, if that sounds great to you, then maybe this is a great first book. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I would also say you should know or remember about Hammer Hall and its unique construction since it is the focal location for this book. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I, I think somebody should tell everybody about Hammer Hall. I mean, you started it. Like, it sounds like you're right, right, foremost right. Hammer Hall. Hammer Hall is the premier um, Sigmarite city. It's the premier good guy city that isn't in heaven. Uh, it isn't in the realm of heaven. So, you know, at the beginning of Age of Sigmar, Age of Sigmar happened and they founded Hammer Hall, like, kind of right away. In And it's what's interesting about it well, it's huge, it's magical, it's industrious, and it lives within two realms uniquely. Um, so there's a huge stable realm gate at the heart of the city that um, that allows the city to kind of flow into two different dimensions, right? The realm of life and the realm of fire. Um, and they live in a symbiotic relationship with roughly the realm of fire providing industrial goods and uh, like magma and other like mm-hmm. related uh, <laughs> export magma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they do. They export the magma. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it's a uh, anti fungal and um, the realm of life supplies like, you know, agricultural products and like kind of more uh, those kind of uh, types of goods. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that's it. Sure. Yeah. Have, did I miss anything? No, I think that covers no. it. Um, um just you mentioned the agricultural products and I love it because they I think in this book they call it the bread basket. Mm-hmm. So if you're one of those people who are sitting there asking where are the farmers in Age of Sigmar, it's here. It's in the Gyran side of Hammer Hall. That's right. Hammer Hall, Gyron is Nebraska, but AOS. <laughs> well, and it's the sort of thing that like you talk about the farmers in the world. Like you you can't put a farm outside the like city walls. Like there's no way a farm's gonna no way a farmer's gonna like make like so it needs to be in a place. So so they talk about like the farms are like terraced within the city, I think. Yeah. Um, maybe I made that up, but uh yeah, uh, in Hammer Hall. Yeah. Um as far as things that people need to know, I hate to bring it up, guys, but like you probably need to get pretty relatively well versed in some of the big events in Broken Realms, um, especially the um the life quake from Illarial, which yep. is to say the the right of life, I guess there was no real quake. Well, well the quake when somebody busted out of a mountain, I guess. Um but uh I guess this, it was this, the biggest quake you could say. Some yeah. would say. Uh there was the um so in sort of reaction to the ending of this Soul Wars time frame, the you know the ramifications of the Necroquake once Nagash got defeated by Teclas, um Illarial then proceeded to unleash a wide swath of life magic across the realms it had a lot of ramifications um in terms of releasing kragnos oddly enough or maybe not oddly enough that has very little to do with this book actually and rather we get to see some of the other ramifications of alarial's life work in that um she also spends a fair bit of time using that sort of empowered life energy to then um we're going to get into it but uh try to cleanse some of uh the realm of life as well so point being is uh, that it wasn't just a one and done uh, plot device to just release Kragnos, but rather it has had other impacts uh, on the realms as well. Yeah, if that slapdash summary whets your appetite for, hey, I don't know what happened in the Broken Realms, why not go and listen to our episodes on the Broken Realms? Please, please do. Some of our best uh, listened to two episodes of all time, mainly because I think Pavin was on those shows. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's that. Um, 
guess what other things are we missing? I feel like there's other stuff that folks should know. Um, I, have a, I have a question. Who oh, shoot? Who are Callus and Toll? So yeah, um, I know that. So number one, um, we've got a Warhammer TV episode. If you subscribe to Warhammer TV, called Undercity, that introduces the characters of Callus and Toll. Uh, and then we've also got a bunch of little short story stuff um, with Callus and Toll in them as well. Uh, so correction, not got, just short stories. Yeah, also novels. That's true. I, I, I apologize for my omitting. Please do not banish me to forever as an agent of the Order of Azir. I would really appreciate it. Horth is going to come knocking on your door, man. He put a lot of work on these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, Paven, to answer your, answer your question, um, a long, long time ago, in fact, one of the first episodes I was ever on of the Mortal Realms covered, mm-hmm. a, I believe, a novella called, or maybe a novel, um, City of Secrets, yep. um, which is about Callus uh, and Toll. These uh, two humans um, living in, in Excelsis, oddly enough, right? Callus um, being a uh, free girl like free girl soldier, and Toll being a um, witch hunter. They go on adventures. If you want to find out more about there, by all means, listen to that episode. But they had spent a lot of time in Excelsis. And then there are a couple of sequels. There's a novel and some short stories sort of uh, revolving around these characters and also some of their, their secondary cast of characters as well. So, like, the Horthiverse is real and that Nick Horth is the author. Mm-hmm. And he's had a couple of these um titles under his belt now really fleshing yep. out his silver name. shard was one of yeah. those as well um heart yeah, of winter named. i think was another one yeah uh and yep. the old ways and mm-hmm. thieves paradise and yep. mance of mirrors mm-hmm. i think is probably oh, all thieves paradise that was a good one if we just named them all go ahead okay so there are two guys two guys yeah. um they're both like non-magical roughly they're just kind of like like are they like gumshoes uh kind of kinda. Yeah, actually. I mean, you're okay, they're, than they're, fan, they're fantasy detectives. Mm-hmm. What else do I need to know? Um, Callus had a love interest for a while. Uh, no, but that's not important. <laughs> um, but I think they're now, I think uh, James Workshop, and I don't, not to put words in their mouth, I think they're going to now sort of use these guys as focal points. They're going to end up being important in the same way that, you know, the Vendents kind of are too, right? Like they need to have yeah. like, real people boots on the ground for us to experience some of this stuff in the realms. And so before they were just characters in these Black Library stories, but I think they're really getting pulled into the narrative to be sort of permanent folks, especially considering they literally had a Warhammer TV episode made for them. So like they really, they're really coming up in the world uh, at this point. Yeah. So I would say if you want a like completely black and white, who are these characters? Uh, Toll is an older agent of Azir. So he is functionally a witch hunter. But witch hunters don't just hunt witches in AOS. They hunt pretty much all the things. So uh, Toll is the one who kind of started everything. And Callus is basically this uh, poor free gilder who got stuck in the middle of everything going on. And uh, keeps getting dragged back into the action constantly. So he is uh, the apprentice, as it were, the uh, the Watson to uh, Toll Sherlock Holmes. So that, that's that's the basic idea. And once you know that a witch hunter has access to all kinds of super cool little things that are fun and interesting, um, including knowledge and resources and people. The cool, um, coolest thing, knowledge. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, who doesn't love knowledge? I mean... Seriously, come on. Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> uh, pen is mightier. Way. So speaking of Callus and Toll, um, we're going to jump into the book now that we sort of in front of us because Callus and Toll actually have a, a, if not a physical presence, a, a um, 
general presence in this story. Uh, well, since you had pitched me the idea earlier, I'm going to make you talk about them. Like, wh- what do we what do we see of Callus and Toll in this year book? How do- yeah, so the first chance we see Callus and Toll, it's the very beginning of the book, and we see them immediately after they just got rid of a doomsday cult. And they're standing in the embers and the ruins of everything Toll has done, and Callus is just sort of along for the ride. And they start picking at a scab of like a conspiracy within uh, Hammer Hall Akshi. And what's interesting about it is like we will see bits and pieces and hints and clues of this conspiracy throughout the entire book in the form of letters either written to or written by Callus and Toll investigating this conspiracy. But it also kind of doesn't touch into the narrative of the book, but it fills our knowledge of what's going on. Um, and one of the things that we start to kind of learn is that Hammer Hall actually is. It's not chaos corrupted, but there are corrupt people with your typical things like greed and power. And he's investigating that. So as we kind of go through this book and we see what's going on in Hammer Hall, you know there's this underlying thread of these two like mortal detectives picking away at the high society of the city and seeing what's going on. Boring corruption. Like, I mean, we're used to some like yeah. pretty wild corruption out there. And this is just, oh, you're just greedy? Like, I, I can see that here. I don't, need, I don't need that in my Warhammer fiction. I, I would love... Like to see an agent of the Order of Azir like um, Toll, like roll up on someone thinking they're chaos corrupt. And it turns out they're just greedy and he doesn't know how to deal with that. <laughs> still kills him anyway. Yeah, still shoots him. Because greed probably leads to, you know, doubt. obsession, excess, slanesh. It's yeah. it's good enough. It's a slippery, slippery slope uh, for sure. Um, are there other elements that we learn because given that it doesn't necessarily tie in as directly to the events of the plot later on, this is sort of like supplemental. Um, are there, do we learn, what do we learn about where this is going with them? If, if it is sort of divorced from the the plot that we see in this book, are there reveals or anything that we need to know about? The, the main thing is that as we get into the story more, there are things where like they kind of figure out the same bits of information separately. I can like call those out. I don't like necessarily want to spoil the specific bits of information, but I feel like this is a, it's building up to stuff that may happen in the next book. And I can talk about that more as we get to like the epilogue for the hammer hall actually story. Gotcha. Um, but it's like, it's separate and then it comes back together at the very end. And it's hard to say like what we learn without spoiling what we will learn. Well crafted, uh, GW, uh, Pavin, for a guy who did not know Callison toll, um, how did, how did they strike you? Were you were you big fans, or did you find it did you find it irritating? I I liked their cutout their like little cutaway sections. Um, I it felt like a nice change of pace for kind of like the high fantasy storytelling that is the most of the book. It was like more um, like in the in the dirt, and it. It was very few words, so you really had to like think about a lot about like what was going on and what they were like saying and how that plays into the plot. Um, so yeah, that, that was cool. Right on. Um, one of the, at least personally, I mean, one of the hallmarks of those novels or the books that those were they were characters in is that it did give you a lot of like boots on the ground, like glimpses into the world. I think that's probably even what the purpose of those books was meant to be because they came out 
probably early second edition, maybe even first edition. I can't remember exactly. But um, yeah, the idea was, is I think the audience was clamoring for like that smaller scale. St- and now, of course, it ended up blowing up and ended up being, it ended up being larger scale, but it started as very smaller st- scale stories. And um, I think that is really going to be the purpose that they serve going forward is, you know, uh, our look into that, whether it's a CD underbelly or, or you know, the, the smaller scale things um, that may have larger ramifications. Uh, Paul, did anything about the Callus and Toll stuff strike you? Yes. Um, and number one, I, I love that um, there was a mention of a character that's one of my favorites, Erica Zenth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that always makes me happy um, when we get that mentioned there. Um, the other thing is that it, the format, and, and by format, I mean the graphic design of this book, actually, to me, is a little bit of a departure because it's almost a combination between the Fondia book that we got in the last edition and uh, a normal battle tome. And one of the things that is particular about it is these handwritten notes, which is a lot of where we get this callous and toll story included. Um, so I, I kind of enjoyed that. To me, that's almost a marker at this point that we're really getting into some narrative-heavy um, stuff. So I thought that was super cool. Oh, do you like narrative? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> oh, me too. We have that in common. Um, all right. So, any final callous and told thoughts before we get into actually what happens in this book? This is we can dance around the subject, but actually, actually. Um, all right. Nope. Paul, wrong order. Guy runs first. Get it oh, right. I thought you read the. I thought you read the book. <laughs> you know what we were talking about. Um, oh, all right. So, um, Cows and Toll is sort of the beginning of the book and sort of interspersed throughout the rest. But then we actually get into some plot elements. Um, and uh, I think what starts us off is what I was mentioning before that Alariel, uh, in an attempt to cleanse some of her realm, um, she figures uh, rain is the best best way to do it and um, summons a. A deluge, a, a cleansing rain uh, for her realm, in an attempt to um, rinse out some some Nurgle elements. Because as Will had mentioned earlier, uh, chaos runs the show still, like or, and mm-hmm. amongst other things, like they are still a huge power in in the mortal realms. And there is a continued work to you know drive them back or drive them out. And so this is her her stretch. Um, what do you guys think about the rains? Is this the first we'd heard about the rains, or had, had it been mentioned before? I think this is the first we're hearing of it. Um... And it's funny because the book even points out like the people of Gyran are used to rain, but they're not used to rain being clean. They're used to be it being, quote, pus like. <laughs> so it just highlights how bad things have been when like the normal rain can be similar to pus. And they're just happy that it's clean water coming out of the sky. Um. I should know this, but I, I read it a little bit ago. Does it have some like relation to Aqua Garanus too, as well, as well? Like, was there some connection there? It doesn't specifically call it Aqua Garanus, but that's like what it is. Because Aqua Garanus is used to clean things. It's in all the Dawnbringer settlements to sort of like nullify some of the chaos taint around. And this is the same thing coming from the sky. Sure. So I don't know if it's specifically named, but it's doing exactly what Aqua Aqua Gyranus does. Gotcha. Water, healing water by any other name tastes as sweet, I imagine. Um, so uh, we have we have good rains coming. Okay, cool. Um, what uh, what happens next? How, how does how does Nurgle take it? I, I, does he take it laying down? I wonder. No, he doesn't. He doesn't like it, and specifically, um, Rodigus, the the one of our named great unclean ones, uh, demons of Nurgle, is known as. 
the rain father is that right something like right it's got rain in the title i'm pretty sure yeah but yeah. he's water he's water themed and he does he's offended by the very kind of uh existence of a clean rain and so he summons his own rain and so we have a classic age of sigmar hard to conceptualize uh metaphysical battle happening where these two rain types are fighting um like making it dirty making it clean back and forth across the realm just like clouds bumping into each other probably very um thunder and lightning heavy right because isn't that what causes thunder and lightning is like i don't know i'm not a meteorologist Um, it's actually a meteor meteor canis yeah exactly i mean (laughs) did you even read the book aaron come on come on (laughs) Uh, no, I'm more of a host. Uh, that's I, I do. I do more of the hosting as opposed to the luring. Um, uh, just as an aside, because I was looking up his his epithet, uh, I didn't know that Radigus was in 40k too. Um, apparently, is yep. Radigus Rainmaker. Yeah. What do you know? Um, so yeah, uh, the 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 rains battling. Um, well, how did how did this strike you? Were you guys able to picture it? Were you get, were you were you transported to a dream world of magic? I was. This is something that we. Like we're always told the the realms of Sigmar are magical and fanciful, but we always see it as like flora and fauna. It's great to see like weather phenomenon that matches like, oh, it's magic clean rain fighting dirty pus rain. It's you just never think about the weather conditions as much matching the the magic of the realms. Similarly, the, like Gyran has like a million seasons too that i always have a hard time picturing um oh yeah well. so like it's i feel like that's par for the course in, in gyran like magical weather patterns and magical seasons and all sorts of nonsense yeah but it, i think uh, a couple important points well one not important point is when i picture <laughs> our alariel's uh, clean rain and i'm gonna try to get her name right every time nice <laughs> uh th- thanks for your feedback listeners sure. Uh, and uh, is uh, you know the the uh, the scene in the two towers uh, where the ants break the dam and then the, the waters kind of just rush through and clean up all of uh, Isengard. Yeah, it's like that. It's just so it's just like I don't know. It's just all the dirty dirt goes away and it's all mm-hmm. fresh clean water. Um, but it, but almost more important importantly, um, the rains cleanse the spirit. So we are, mm. you know, if you are affected by a evil magic disease and you get this nice bath, you feel better. And you're yeah. like, oh, you know what? I, I can win. I can do stuff. Yeah. It's also kind of like for the because it mentions like soldiers marching in and out of the area. The idea that it makes them like feel better and happy is very the opposite of my experience being someone who had to march in the rain. So just the idea of like, you know what? This is actually nice. I don't mind being soaked is hilarious to me. So we got an introduction of a new character. I don't think I've heard of her before. Yes. Um, the presence of Lady Nadian Greenspur, the matriarch Giranis. Um, uh, and she is the one who runs Hammer Hall Gira. Um, so we actually get... Um, a very personal kind of struggling with what do I do? How do I defeat this, um, this problem? Um, and it was cool because we haven't seen many female characters um, presented, especially not like running Hammerhall. So I, I thought it was cool and it gave a lot, a little, a little bit more depth to the story. Um, and that's actually something this book I think does really well is it inserts a lot of little characters um, into 
actual places. Will and I actually had a conversation about this a couple of weeks yeah. ago about how cool would it be if you knew who ran, you know, for example, this isn't what we said, but like, you know, Hammerhall Gira and like, hey, I'll convert up Nadian Greenspear, Greenspear. But then maybe something will happen and then somebody else will come in. So uh, this was a little touch that I thought added a lot uh, to the story itself. So, yeah, it was, it was funny because we were talking about that because like because the conversation we were having was about like, oh, how do we ground people in the realms a bit more? And the answer is like name characters like this. And I, as we will see throughout this book, this is very much a more zoomed in story. The things she's dealing with are not like, oh, I'm dealing with all of these gods fighting. and I have to organize this war of the gods. It's I have all of these small settlements. I have to pull people out of some of them. I have to have people stay. I have to do this and that. And it's very much a, a human struggle that this person is facing in the face of all these atrocities. But she's making very grounded actions and decisions. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so um, she does end up right. If I remember correctly, she's, she ends up pulling up a lot of her like border town like defenses back to the city because uh, even Hammerhall Gyra isn't like um, free from any number of plights or plagues. Um, yeah. And furthermore, there's this new plague that's going around, too, which I think we'll probably talk. Well, I don't know. Maybe now's not the time to talk about it um, in that. uh it seems as if a lot of our citizens, both out and within, um, are afflicted by this malaise, uh, this this ennui, uh, perhaps, uh, Ooh, lack of enthusiasm. Use. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> appreciate that. Um, that's for our, our three French listeners. Uh, and uh, so it, in doing so, it's really re uh, decimating morale um, at home and abroad. Uh, and so it, she, I know her goal then is to be like, all right, well, I need to circle up because um, when we pull, pull our forces back in to shore up um, some of our you know shortcomings because we just don't have the chutzpah that we uh, used to. So that was a, a part of her decision-making there as well. I, I think we should clear up like the timeline here a little bit because yeah. like the cause and effect here, I think we've, we've, we've gone around in like a circle. Okay. So okay. Tell me. Uh, I'll, I'll do my best and then you guys can call a foul. If I, if I, if I got it. Okay. <laughs> I would never. So, so, you know, there's always war in the mortal realms, but specifically in Hammerhog Gyra, they are affected by a new plague from Neurogirl called the Shutter Blight. And um, we're going to talk a lot about it because it's pretty important. And it is a plague of the spirit and causes people to give up on life, like super depression, uh, where people will just like lay down and like not move anymore. Um, I and that so a lot, as a response to that plague going around Gairan, uh, Alerial summons the, the cleansing rains, which cleansed, uh, which does a lot of good things. Uh, you know, it, it cleans cleans up dirty porches, uh, but it also cleans up dirty spirits. Uh, and so it brings people invigorated, feel good. We talked about that. It also has a side effect of increased crop yields in Hammerhall Gyra, which causes like an economic boom of some sort. Um, and then as a response to those rains, the we, we mentioned Rodiga summons his rains. And so his rains are gross. And so those and then that's the battling out of the rains. Um, and then I think, I don't know, I, my interpretation is like kind of 
Alerio's reins are on the back foot, it seems. Like, they, they're, they're fighting to a standstill or slowly losing. Because she's uh, a, against, a creature of cycles, and she's cyclical. Yeah. And, like, she she's not always at her full strength because she kind of ebbs and flows. Well, um, and it's important to know that Alerio does not sit in Hammerhall Gyra. She sits completely different part of the continent. This is not what she cares about the most. So she could be moving her resources around, and it might be causing Nurgle to gain more power in this area. Yeah. Um, but so like things are not good. And so that's why they're like, all right, we got to pull back from some of these more frontier places and make sure mm-hmm. we are, um, you know, uh, uh, concentrating our forces and our power in Hammerhall Gyra uh, because because things are not are not working out well out there in the wilds. And they say like a lot of outposts just fall, um, although the, I believe the. Uh, what is our, who are the, uh, for, for, uh, for who is, uh, only can defend the rail, or, uh, <laughs> only the faithful. Only the faithful. <laughs> only the faithful. <laughs> all right, all right. Great. Um, yeah, shout out to Josh Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, working on other intellectual properties. Um, but yeah, it, it did mention that, uh, the storm cast of the, well, I don't even remember their name. What are they? Hallowed Knights. The Hallowed Knights go out of the, out of the city to reinforce some of those strong uh, those strongholds that were abandoned by the human defenders or re- at least retreated from. Um, and with that long digression, I think that catches us up to like kind of what the stalemate currently is in the realm of life. Yeah, it does. All right, so it's now <laughs> then I think we're introduced to the Harbingers, which I thought was funny that they're the only ones. I, th- I thought everything was supposed to be a Harbinger, but they're the only ones with the word Harbinger in the name, right? Yeah, they're um, they're the Harbingers. I wonder, is the title just about them then? Are the other ones not Harbingers? No, they're all Harbingers. They, get, they, have, special harb- they have special little Harbinger rules. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. True, true. Well, okay, guys, you guys are probably pretty confused uh, listeners, but um, what we have here are the um, Harbingers of Decay, which... These have always existed, right? Did I did I dream that? I don't remember talking about uh, them in the Nurgle book. Before. They have been included in AOS, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, but it was the old metal model. Um, it was still allowed in certain uh, things. But then they basically, um, they're saying that this is a new version of it. Um, more powerful and more destructive, as it were. Yeah, So right. So um, he calls upon these harbingers of decay that he, he always had at one point, but now he's got a particular use for them um, to spread this. And we'll talk about like their ins and outs, but they're known for this, um, the the disease that Paven was talking about before, the the malaise disease and really bumming people out. And so um, it's there. They're now uh, moving throughout the realms in force, whereas before I think they were probably more of a limited um, resource before. Um, well, there, there actually is a really tiny thing here that I think is going to be maybe super important later is that it says, yes, they could always do this, but it actually takes a lot of effort for them to actually make this like pestilence happen. And so there's one specific little line and it says that um, the few had the authority to demand each such of Nurgle's heralds, but the Varengard, the inner circle of the ever chosen himself, they would answer. Mm-hmm. That's it. One sentence. Move on. I'm like, wait a minute. Um, no, no, no. Uh, why are the Varengard asking Nurgle to spread this plague? What's yeah. going on here? Yeah, that one really jumped out to me. That's like one of the biggest. I, I it doesn't get answered in this book. I'll say. No. I'll, 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 I'll spoil that. Um, but it is one of the most interesting questions. Like there is, 
more happening. It's part of a plan. Um, so I think we're seeing the uh, harbinger of de- harbingers of decay at uh, the Varengard's bidding, um, spreading their uh, their sadness um, to uh, the those those settlements that have either been pulled back or couldn't couldn't make it back uh, in time. Um, seems as if they're completely unopposed. They're going to overrun the entirety of uh, Gairan. That's the end of it. Um, who, yeah. who could possibly uh, stand up uh, to these folks? What what could possibly stand in their way? Um, Ooh, indeed. Does anybody well, have any thoughts? Who who could uh, object to this? I feel like the only kind of people that could stand up to a plague of the spirit are those whose spirits are kind of already twisted and broken. Sure. Okay. Those who see things in a different light. Yeah. Does, does those people yeah. even exist in the realms though? Uh, they don't, but there are noble knights who fight for the summer king. <laughs> um Oh, wait, no, I'm looking at my notes. Yeah, no, they're flesh eater courts. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, but no, you're giving away, you're giving away the punchline. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cause I think in the story, we don't quite know this yet. Right. Um, uh, it, they do call out, um, like names like the summer King and things like, Oh yeah. All these people are covered in blood and dead, but we didn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, Age of Sigmar has a thing. But I guess if you read enough fiction, and as soon as like a knight in like shiny armor shows up, you're like, "Oh, flesh eater courts are here!" Like, <laughs> it's, like its tone is like kind of like out of step with, um, like general like how they talk about like humans in the mortal realms. Or it was like too nice and having too much fun. And usually yeah. there's a big like there's often like very quickly huge giveaways. Uh, it's super fun. It's really great. Yeah, um, but yeah, they they show up. Uh, I think. Before Nurgle and the forces of Nurgle knew that there are these ghouls, right? Though weren't weren't they trying to figure out why some of their settlements that they thought they'd taken over or destroyed or like uh, bummed out, um, like they'd come back to them and found that like nobody's there, there are no bodies, and they would have thought that there'd been something. What, what's going on here? For a plague to spread, it needs a host, and they're finding these areas where they're losing ground because their plague isn't spreading, and they go to look it out, and just like you said, they show up, and it's just devastation massacres going all over the place like all of the people all those outposts that work for Hammerhall Gyra they're all dead but Nurgle has no idea who's doing it because it's not them yeah and so I think they hear rumors of this uh Sir Jerian is there an eye in it yeah Sir Jerian and they're like who's this and this to our point we were making before like who's this noble knight like apparently he's saving all the small folk especially because they've they've been pulled back to Hammer Hall but he's a champion of these people out here um and so and maybe I'm com- confounding a little bit this book and then the short story because the GW has been releasing some short it's kind of the same yeah, yeah. um so uh, they're, they're related to each other and also listeners some of the best stuff GW ever puts out are those short stories around this you know these types of works uh, and so those are i highly recommend that you check those out and you don't got to buy nothing you can just find them on the website um but it's the surgerian who um we find is no is no sir at all well i guess maybe if you're a flesh eater court maybe he is but um it's this um marrow, marrow scroll scroll herald. Herald. great great unity <laughs> yeah so he's been going around preaching the good word of the summer king um and uh he's doing something that we've never really seen before and i know i want to dive into these individuals later but i think it contributes to the story like why is he different than your run-of-the-mill flesh eater court dude uh it's in how he uh gets new followers uh traditionally what we've seen is in order for someone to become like a ghoul and join the flesh eater courts they kind of need to consume the tainted flesh of either the ghoul king or someone else in the courts. And this dude 
Instead, we'll just take a bone, crack it open, spray mist everywhere, and everyone it lands on, not everyone, but all the normal people it lands on kind of just become ghouls as well. Because it's him, in his eyes, he's spreading the word of his lord, the commands of his king, but to everyone else it's just a cloud of this fog and plague. Gross. Um and so in doing so, he's really arresting some of the, uh, the advancement uh, that, the, you know, the Harbingers of Decay and, and Nurgle's forces. Uh, they're stealing folks before, like, the, the Nurgle plagues can, like, take hold. Um, and Nurgle can't abide by that either. Uh, we're, that's no fun. Nurgle loves fun. Um, and so I think this, is the cru- this then forms the crux of the major um, conflict. That's the word. Um, of this first section of this book is we're, there's going to be a head-to-head um, what comes of it? What happens? How, how do we how do we throw down uh, in in Gyran? Okay, so uh, I'll say like so the the harbinger of decay that we're following, Pulguth, Pulgoth. How are you guys pronouncing it? Yeah, Pulgoth. <laughs> I make it a point to not pronounce anything. So, uh, Mister Goth, <laughs> Mister Shutterhood. No, that's his, it, that's his dad. It's probably an F, so it's like Fulgoth. Fulgoth. That's yeah, that sounds right. Fulgoth. I, I'm I'm amused by the tension in your head. You're like, I, I have to pronounce this right. Otherwise, people are going to send it. Fulgoth is is the harbinger we are uh, of decay. We are following. Um, yeah, and I think that's and that's something that's common in this book is that there is these types of people. There are many harbingers of decay, um, but. Uh, this is the one we that is special and named, and we follow in the book. Um, and he realizes again that the plagues aren't spreading in a specific area like he would expect. Uh, so he goes and he goes to investigate and see if he can root out this uh, this resistance to his disease. Um, and then they go to oh, what's it called? There is a place that was decimated by the plague. Um, Further field. Further, further field. field. Yeah. Further field is the site. They would have preferred closer field, but mm, can't always can't always choose. Uh so yeah, they they roll up there and they, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to uh you know remove this resistance and, and they find uh Sir Jurian uh there with his ghouls and they're like, Okay, it was ghouls. Um that makes sense. Uh I guess we'll just have to kill them the old regular way um and so they get into a huge battle uh nurgle uh blight kings uh versus ghouls and they have a you know regular old-fashioned age of sigmar punch-up yeah good old-fashioned brawl i mean it, and it's very warhammer old-fashioned and just because it's the classic and it's feel like it's been a while since we've seen fights like this where it's very much like oh so-and-so has the upper hand oh nope now the other side has the upper hand oh nope surprise it's the first side has the upper hand again um it it used to be like that all the time, um, but it was very a reminder of battle of battles in the past uh, that I've read in Warhammer. I'm sorry, yeah. uh, we'll go ahead. No, it's kind of what I was gonna say. <laughs> of like, you can kind of tell who's gonna win because whoever's winning at the beginning isn't the person who's gonna win at the end because <laughs> there's gonna be that last minute trick. Unless, of course, it's a back and forth. Like, unless he double backs on it, which it does that sometimes yeah. too, right? Yeah, like, true. Well, and that's the problem with this 
fiction is that um, Games Workshop is writing to fans of the ghouls or fans of Flesh Eater Courts and of Nurgle, right? So it, like, it's hard to like make one side completely trump the other side because then the Flesh Eater Courts fans would be like, what the hell, man? Um, we totally would have kicked their butts. You can only do that with Beast of Chaos <laughs> is the rule. Everybody's got to look cool. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know if there's anything real um, – uh, spectacular about this fight. I mean, I think everybody gets to use their special move. Uh, yeah. So, like, towards the end of the battle, you know, it's, it's going back and forth, and then our Harbinger of Decay, Full Goth, uh, pulls out his special knife that is the kind of generator of the Shutter Blight. Like, usually, um, I think they mentioned, which is a cool thing, the Shutter Blight is kind of a specific disease you give to a few people. And then they, they were forced to, like, weaponize it into more of a mass destruction situation by the Varengard. Uh, but they carry it around, and it's carried on these knives. And he points it at uh, Sir Jaren, our Marl Scroll Herald, uh, and tries to, like, use concentrated uh, sadness ray at him. Um, <laughs> and it also gets boils, uh, plus boils. Uh, and it hits him, and he's like, oh, no, I'm, like, so bummed. Uh, like, I'm not going to be able to be, like, oh. And I think, does it, for a second, he, like, realize, or maybe the ghouls around them, like, realize what they are. Like, that is how, like, the disease manifests, that it gives them clarity. And they, um, I think, do a few of them, like, kill themselves? Yeah, it says the terrible reality of their existence saw many slay themselves in despair. <laughs> they literally yeah. were like, ooh. That's metal. Yeah, like, yeah, the, that's hardcore. The, the disease actually cures their insanity briefly, um, which is fatal to, to these these monsters. Um, so just for a moment, it's it's super depression, right? And what super depression is, is it cures the super happiness of imagining that you are a knight. Like, I love that. That's, <laughs> like, that's the ultimate anath- anathema to <laughs> the Flesh Eater Courts is like, oh, no, I just can't be sad. This is too much fun being happy. <laughs> <laughs> but but Sir Jaren still hasn't used his special move, which is um, you know, he's a he's a Morrow Scroll Herald, so he has like his like what he thinks is his beautiful like uh speech uh written by the Summer Kings, like I'm gonna bring the words of like the good lord to you. Uh but really it's just like a bone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bone and blood's in like uh I don't know, marrow shoots everywhere on everybody. Yeah. Uh, and that that carries like concentrated uh ghoul disease. Uh and once it starts hitting everybody, everybody's like, Oh yeah, we forgot. We're you know, we're great, we love it. Uh <laughs> we love everything. And then they remember that they're knights again, and like the ghouls are immediately cured of the Shutter Blight and they like redouble the, you know, the fighting spirit goes back in them. They redouble their efforts uh, and they win the battle. Uh, because yeah. The uh, Harbinger of Decay retreats. And I kind of love that it also has like the effect on Fulgoth that for like moments, he sees everything the way the ghouls see them. He's yeah. like, Oh, I'm surrounded by this beautiful city attacked by all these knights. No, that's not right. <laughs> he has to shake his, his self out of it. Um, and I love like like it, this even this madness was so intense that it even paused their like their God given endurance and like it, it it arrested some of their like blights and diseases even on them. That's how like this shockwave of madness was. So like I know I, it's very few things that stand up to Nurgle's uh, blightness, um, and apparently this is a power that can that can do so. Um, and thus the pendulum of the battle is swung. Uh, I think 
Um, full goth, uh, realizes the better part of Valor is to turn around and get out of there. Um, and I don't know that, was he the only one or at least he doesn't have very many followers at this point because they got trounced pretty bad. Um, but they, uh, skedaddle out of there, right? Yeah. It says him and his buddies skedaddle. I do love that to himself. He goes like, I could win if I asked Nurgle for help right now, but I, I'm going to let you have this one and leave. Sure. So maybe he's still a little bit delusional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they he rides forth. Um, I thought this was interesting because uh, I know it's not it's not in the text, it's not in the fiction here. But like these days, when I think of Nurgle, I sometimes think of the Order of the Fly as well. It was such like a fundamental mm-hmm. like connection to Nurgle for me in the early days of Age of Sigmar, even though Order of the Fly really hasn't been a thing in years now at this point however when you're dealing with the knights of the flesh eater court versus what in my head the order of the fly very knightly order um i feel like that would have been a potential for a very cool story although it wasn't necessarily expressed here um i i can do it it's my own head cannon uh, a little bit which i thought was fun plus he's on a horse right that's basically a knight uh, the harpenter of decay i i feel like it does it's just like a sentence where it talks about like the fly riding knights of nurgle were attacking the bat-winged people in the flesh eater courts so we can just pretend that those knights were just up in the air fighting each other yeah that's just like not what the was okay. yeah exactly yeah. um uh, very cool um did you guys have any other highlights in this uh match between flesh eater courts and nurgle or did we cover every bit of it um, I guess I want one more detail I'll share about the, um, the Harbinger of Decay is that um, they have a it, – it's hard. Nurgle, I think, is something hard to write because they're so obviously, like, gross, evil bad guys uh, that they're, they, you know, it's hard to add dimensionality to them. Mm-hmm. One way they do this is uh, generally the followers of Nurgle are actually really happy. They're having, like, a pretty good time because they think they're they're – their God is great and he's blessed them and all of the realms with his gifts. Um, so usually there's like kind of a weird, uh, dissonant, happy-go-lucky vibe to the Nurgle. Uh, however, the Harbingers are known for having like a really bad attitude and a really like, uh, like kind of down and like grumpy demeanor. And then that clashes with their followers who are usually pretty jovial and they annoy each other, which yeah. I think is, I, I guess, cute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the thing that stuck out to me is um when Jirian cracked the bone, um it said it seemed then to strangle Nurgle's minions, cutting off their feast of despair, leaving them staggering. Um, as you said, the god given endurance fa- faltered, but it also said that some of them started screaming with insanity of the flesh eater courts. So yeah. that to me sounds like an amazing army idea, right? Like using Blight Kings uh, as flesh eater courts um, and doing some super sweet conversions of those. Like that could be absolutely amazing. So episode over, get out of here. <laughs> All right, very cool. Uh, any other thoughts about the events? We'll talk about the Harbingers a little bit more later, but um, other event based stuff y'all want to chat about? Um, no. Uh, I suppose uh, there, was there much of a epilogue? I'm trying to recall what happened. I know that for uh, the the Fulgoth. yeah, there you go, uh, Harbinger. He does. He wants. Go, he's going to go back and warn his his people. Like he has to warn warn his allies, and so that's kind of why he was fleeing a little bit. But um, was there? Did we learn about any fallout from this uh, story? Uh, well, we do hear that it gets word gets back to Hammerhall Kyra that actually the Rodigus's bad reigns have abated 
in northern uh, Viridia. Um, and the the Hammer Hollands are like, hey, well, what a great opportunity. Like, let's go north and like yeah. and uh, you know, establish our strongholds there. And so they were like, it seems it seems nice over there. Yeah. Um, and so let's they, not investigate why they left and just run head first. <laughs> well, it, it seems like um, they're they're you know the good guys. So quote unquote, the uh, the Grand Alliance Order is taking advantage of this battle between two uh, 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 adversarial forces and are going to send out the crusade north. Uh, into these lands, but right into, I guess, the lands of the Summer King. Um, so, yeah, but they they just kind of get into agreement that they're going to send some guys out, uh, and especially they're going to take advantage of all the the manpower they were called back to Hammerhall Gairan um, that they pulled out and then used those same troops to fund a new crusade north. Nice. Hence yeah. the titular Dawnbringer because um, mm-hmm. what, what we've discussed thus far hasn't been very Dombringery, but like here's here's how it's uh, definitely going to start. Um, any other thoughts about that? So one of the things they do do is they they give <laughs> examples <laughs> of uh, these non named Harbringers, right? So we've got Fulgoth and we've got Sergerian, but they give other examples of other Harbringers going to different other parts of the realms and what they're doing, right? Um, so they talk a little bit about um, some of these harbingers of decay going into Shayesh, right, um, and and stuff like that. So I thought that was I was cool because um, typically you'll get an army intro in a battle tome, and I'd be like, the army is from here, but then you might also hear of you know. Uh, the the character on Overlords also have a, a port in Ogu, so that's kind of cool. Like different, we're not going to talk about it, but like that's where it is. And so it was fun to kind of hear about this, like I don't know, character class, if you will, and how they're spreading out and they're doing all these different things. And you're getting examples of how different ways that they would have reacted or made things happen. So they're talking about spreading the Shutterblight plague in Shayesh by melding corpses with plague bearers and again another amazing conversion idea uh and that's how they're going to send they're going to spread the shutter blight in shayesh so i thought that was super cool well yeah, very cool um so uh connected to what we were just talking about the uh, the normal flesh eater court battle and the ramifications on um season sigmar dawnbringer folks we actually had a listener question it's taken us a while to get to our questions. Um, normally, we, we hop on those much sooner in the episode. I'm sorry, everyone. I know you've been all waiting for uh, those questions to pop up. Um, speaking of waiting for questions to pop up, let me tell you how you get a question on the show. Um, if you have a question for the Mortal Realms podcast on the story phase, you know what you got to do? Let me tell you. Uh, you have to hang out in our Discord server. Um, yes, we have a Discord server. Surprise, surprise. I bet you all didn't know about it. It's uh, found at themortalrealms.com slash Discord. You know what you do? if you've never heard this before, is you hang out in that Discord server all the time, constantly. And, and one day, you'll never know when. I'm not going to warn you. Uh, I'm going to pop in and I'm going to say, hey, does anybody have any questions about this episode that we're going to be doing? You're going to say, yes, I do, because of course you do. Um, and you're going to list that question there. I'm going to copy and paste it days later, uh, and we will read it on the show and we'll talk about it here. Like I'm going to do right now with first-time question asker. I don't believe we've ever had a question from uh, Cake Latte? Cake lot late late yeah cake cake latte they joined the server specifically to ask this question 
because I had said mentioned elsewhere, like, hey, if you have questions, come join us in our Discord server. And they came specifically for this purpose. You evangelizing the show. I love it. That's why we pay you the big bucks, William. Um, but to kick latte ass, uh, the current dynamic depicted by the short stories, those short stories that I'd mentioned before being put out by Games Workshop. Sorry, that wasn't part of their question. Um, is that the Nurgle forces are fleeing the ghouls of Sergerian with the Dawnbringers being caught on the strife, maybe in the strife. Um, is it the case or is there a hidden twist to it? Feel like we probably preemptively answered this a little bit, but is there some sort of twist that we're not we're not getting here um, to the what we're seeing on the on the page? So yeah, part of what had guided this question is they had noticed in the stories it sounded like Nurgle was setting up an ambush, like oh the ghouls are coming, let's set up this trap in further field, and that takes part in that short story. So they had come to the conclusion that oh the ghouls must be chasing them, and then they're turning around for this trap. But the twist is that Fulgoth divined where the ghouls would be by, I think the book even mentions, reading the guts of people to see what could happen and has decided that Furtherfield would be the place that they used to ambush the ghouls. So I don't know if the ghouls even knew that Nurgle was going to be the people attacking them. And that, that is literally the last story that they put out, I think it was on Friday, um, which is super cool. Uh, but the other thing is that this is, and, and I, I feel like I'm mixing or being very particular about my words here because it's an existing settlement. We're not actually dealing with an army on the move to go and found a settlement, right? So is this actually a Dawnbringer crusade or is this a settlement, Right. Because they're not going out to found it. They have founded it. It is existing. So I, I almost ask, what do we call these settlements? Because they're no longer really Dawnbringers. Because they have accomplished their goal. A little tiny seed of hope, maybe. Not a yeah. full seed of hope. Yeah, anyway. I like that. Seedling. A poddling. Uh, will the Jim Morden? Sent. No, I was just going to say, like, the, the book just calls them, like, outposts. It doesn't even mention, like, it mentions that there are all of these little outposts and strongholds, but they don't make any overt connections to it being Dawnbringers. There's a severe lack of Dawnbringer mention. Honestly, there's a severe lack of Dawnbringer mention in this whole book, but we don't need yeah. to get into that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so with... The story being wrapped up, and we can sort of see that this is going to be the opening. This is going to be the start. I shouldn't complain. This is the start then of what the Dawnbringer Crusades may be, at least in Gyran. Um, y'all got any thoughts uh, as to where you think this is going to go? What, where, what do you think is going to what are going to happen next? So tying into the the epilogue, um, it mentions that the governess Nadine Greenspur is like, "Hey, Nurgle's being pushed back. We have the rains going on. We have all these soldiers." Let's fortify our positions and make sure everyone's okay. And this dude, uh, Brutar, calls himself the Bloody Duke. He's like, nah, we have all the soldiers we need. Let's march out. Let's go out there and do it. And his name had popped up in the letters with Callus and Toll, basically telling them to mind their own business and to stop sniffing around. So I feel like this dude, who only shows up to help launch the crusade, is going to be some sort of order-based like antagonist throughout the story, specifically for Callus and Toll. 
You think with a name like Brutar, is he just like a corn worshiper? Like, yeah, I am Brutar the Bloody Duke. I am not a vampire, I swear. (laughs) This dude's probably fine. He's normal, right? Grand Hammerhall's Grand Major Domo. So, I think the question I have is Are we going to continue following Fulgoth and Sergerian? Or are we going to continue following the Harbingers? Yeah, so that is the question that I have of, like, what happens in the future. Because, like, the announcement for the series, we've seen, like, three other unnamed books. And we're told that over a dozen factions are getting new models through these books. It makes the most sense narratively, big picture, to just drop these characters and move on to the next ones. But the way these stories are written... They're like, hey, we've left this big door open for Fool Goth to show up in the story later. And we've never closed the door on what's going on with Sergerian. So I honestly don't know. But I do think if we do have a Harbinger of Decay and a Marrow Scroll Herald ever show up in the story, it's going to be these two. I just have no idea if they're actually going to show up or not. Um, the fact that I'm, I'm still of the opinion that the Flesh Eater Court's Battle Tome is probably still coming in this edition. Um Makes yeah. me think that at the very least, Sergerian's probably this isn't the last we're going to see of that dude. Is my guess. Yeah, um, I mean my my will theory. I mean in the timeline we have the narrative books, and then there's a blank book coming out in winter. My guess is that's going to be Flesh Eater Quartz. I think that's my guess. Usharan's going to show up, but that's all me wanting it to happen, unless based on evidence. He is the Summer King, right? I should know this. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Usharan, the creator of the Flesh Eater Courts, is the Summer King. Sure. And he is presumably a Mortark, too, right? Even though he's maybe not in Nagash's Greek races. He was a Mortark in the Old World. Um, I feel like he's been mentioned as a Mortark, but when I recently read up on him, they never called him one. So, mm-hmm. well, jury's out. Yeah, I think he still could show up as a Mortark, but who knows? But as of right now, he's not, Nagash is not his best friend, and he's not Nagash's best friend. Right. Um, neat, neat stuff. All right, uh, guys, we've been talking about these two factions for a while. Any other Nurgle, Flesh Eater Courts thoughts? Because there's a whole second half of this book we gotta get to. Nope, I just love it. I love my Flesh Eater Courts, and I love every time they show up, so. Gotcha. I didn't even know you were a Flesh Eater Courts guy. I had no idea before. Well, we so I've been keeping it inside because the models are so old. So I'm not like going out and getting flesh eater court models. I'm waiting for the overhaul. Sure. And also they don't really show up that often. Also true. Um, all right. Neat and great. Let's, let's move the camera. Let's uh, head on over to Akshi, the realm of fire and uh, see what's going on over there. So, um, as we've talked about Hammer Hall, a, a city with two sides, uh, guy runs one side, Akshi's on the other. Um, what are some of the problems that, just right out of the gate that actually uh, finds itself facing. What are the issues they're dealing with there? What do you guys think? I mean, they're also kind of dealing with the shutter blight, even though they're in the realm of fire, they're still getting some of that going on. And so they're trying to figure out like, well, how do we deal with it? We don't have healing rains going in. Some of the plague is coming in, but we have no way to deal with it. So what they're dealing with is like, how do we do this when a goddess won't solve the problem for us? but we just want her to. Yeah, come on. Please? Um, No such luck. Uh, What what are are the... What what solution do they come up with? Um, Do you guys have any... 
as the old saying goes, if you can't solve a problem with water, you solve it with fire. Um, fight fire with fire. You should fight everything with fire. Especially in Apache. So uh, through, I, I guess, I'm not sure exactly what the, the chain of events was, but they're like, okay, we have a corruption of the spirit and of the flesh, uh, so we're going to burn it out. Um, and I think they start some, like, spiritual pyres, but quickly those turn into people pyres. And they burn all spiritual up. pyres yeah. aren't good enough. People pyres. <laughs> it, it, it's like one archmage who's like, you know what? I think this could help if we do it in a very few specific spots, but I don't want people to know I'm doing it. So I'm just going to do it quickly. And then like a wildfire just starts to spread. Yeah. And suddenly all these cults show up just burning people. Sure. Well, or, or like people who are like, I'm, I, I want to burn down my, my competition's business. Like I'm going to burn down his factory real quick. So like, Oh, we got to burn that in a purging fire. Um, yeah. The the thing I like the little detail in here is that at the very beginning, we talk about the temple of Sigmar, but is the aspect of Sigmar the Kindler. And then yes. here we're talking about the Temple of Sigmar, but the cults are, um, what is it called? Um, Sigmar the Blaze that follows the lightning strike. So we're getting these real esoteric um, embodiments of Sigmar that are defining how they're acting. So I think that's really cool and it's super fun. Isn't it convenient that you can make Sigmar be the aspect of Sigmar, whatever you want it to be, whatever is most convenient to you? Like, man, I really want to burn some stuff down. Tell you what, new Sigmar version, <laughs> Fire Sigmar, loves this stuff. Um, I, you know, you know, I swear, one of the Warcry Warbands that deals with fire could just, like, slap some Stormcast helmets on it, and there you got a Stormcast, <laughs> the, the flame uh, cult. I'm hungry. I want uh, the aspect of Sigmar the Hamburger guy. Yeah. Like, I'm... <laughs> whatever i want um sigmar the feaster <laughs> sure uh, uh, yeah, so a bunch of fires or uh pyres are creeping up all through hammerhall uh burn your doubts on the pyre of belief um a lot of with their arsonist priests <laughs> that's like yeah it's a great name sure um I don't know if it's it's not because of this, but just it's around this time then where uh, we get some visitors to Hammer Hall actually, yeah. uh, right? Um, and that's where uh, the I don't know the the sons and daughters of uh, actually the sons and daughters of uh, Grimnir, um, the Fire Slayers, roll up, and we've got this new character, uh, sort of similar similarly to how the Harbingers of Nurgle and Flesh Eater, of course, we've got a, we've got a, a new Fire Slayer uh, type here, a Harbinger here, and that's the, um, the Grimhold Exile, who has a name, Fiori, um, who is this uh, Grimhold Exile. He is the last um, survivor of his Magma Hold that has fallen um, to... His was specifically Skaven. That's what it was. But a lot of other nearby ones and a lot of nearby Dawnbringer Crusade settlements have fallen to Graz because, like, their thought is, well, if the land itself is fire, what if we build under the land? Oh, no, Graz live here. This is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And then they all die. Sure. Which, just as an aside, that was new to me that, like, having people, like, try to uh, survive and actually by going under the ground, right? Well, don't. There's. there's 10 times worse things under the ground in, in most realms. Um, that's never the solution to your problem. Anyways, so uh, the Fire Slayers roll up. Um, Fury rolls up. He's basically warning. Our, I mean, he's in exile. Um, he's 
trying to um, some element of uh, Slayer Oath as well to um, you know avenge his fallen and also help people. Um, so he's coming to warn uh, Hammerhall Akshi of the, the things that he's seen. He's seen. Um, what do we? What, how did we? How did we take the Fire Slayers? What, what do we learn about them? What do you think think about this delegation that we've got here? So. I like to get, and I'm going to say it's not the fire slayer part that's interesting to me. Uh, it's the uh, consistency to the tales of destroyed holds. Um, and they're talking about the repeated mentions of Trogoths clad in grassy rubble crashing through the deep places led by a beast with a strange portal thing upon its back. I want to know what that is. That sounds super cool and fun. Yeah. So it would I mean, be nice if we saw that later in the story. Wishful thinking. Um, so, all right, we're gonna we're gonna tr- transition. Then we can start talking about the the green skins as well. So, um, h- how do they enter the story, or h- how do we learn about them in this book? Well, um, we have a new character uh, called the Rabble Rousa, which is fantastic. Uh, it feels like me in Warhammer because it's a guy who's like way too loud and just says whatever he wants to and gets people to believe him. So I'm just like, okay. Key difference is that nobody believes you, but exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's wishful thinking. Come on. I know. Um, so basically, um, they're they're the the cheerleaders, right? Um, the rabble rousers are the cheerleaders, and they can just do all kinds of cool stuff. And he's starting away like they're hearing about them in Gallet, right? Um, they're hearing so that's in the realm of beasts. Um, stuff is just happening underground and it's super cool. Um, the line here, uh, a uh, great, the, the, the guy's name that they're talking about is Braggett. Um, Braggett recounted his exploits to any who would listen again, feels a lot like me. Um, most of the audience members were not exactly willing, but for the sake of finding the latest and greatest fight or at least targets, uh, they would follow. Um, and because Grotz are specifically gullible, um, he just, he got all kinds of people to follow him, including a bunch of Trogoths, um, which is super fun and super cool. And, um, so they ended up, you know, dealing with some Dawnbringers. So this is kind of fun that we're actually getting some Dawnbringers into the story now. Um, that they had established some subterranean settlements, which I, I think is cool. We've kind of talked about that before. I think it's in, in Gallet uh, for the General's Handbook. They talked a little bit about this. Um, and they specifically go after the glassmakers because, you know, they love those bottles. Um, who doesn't love bottles if you're a grot? Uh, so, uh, well, actually, it's because, you know, they really want to make these sweet potions. Um, and they need the bottles to contain the potions because you can't just like drink them all right away. You got to let them age like a fine wine before you guzzle them without thinking and just like go crazy all over the time. And we're ending with a little bit of a showdown coming up here. So, yeah, I, I just love that before with the Nurgle versus Flesh Eater courts, the battle commenced because one is trying to topple the city of order with plagues and the other is trying to gain converts for his massive army. And here we have an actual attack on Hammer Hall itself because the Grats think there are bottles there. 
Like no, no grand scheme, no great war. Like no, he's doing something that. Um, what's the what's who's the figurehead of the Gloom Spike gets? Like the main, Scrag- like the Loom Scragrot. Yeah, Scragrot. Scragrot is like, oh, I want to attack Hammerhall eventually. He's mentioned it in like several books, but I need to build up these forces and I need to do this. Braga doesn't care. He gets his grass and he just goes for. He just guns straight at Hammerhall. I, I, he doesn't go for it because he because he knows it's Hammerhall, right? So he he hits up um, Gray Grafa Grafa, um, which is an outpost connected to Hammerhall by like subterranean yeah. tunnels, right? So he goes after the outpost first, which is actually founded by Dawnbringers, right? Um, he sacks it, finds a bunch of bottles, and he's like, you know what? Hold up! It seems as if they're coming from this place, and I can see that there's this tunnels connecting. You know, well. Nothing, it's not going to stop here. I'm going to keep going. And so he, it's as if he's like following a trail of bottles um, yeah. all the way to the underbelly up into the center of Hammerhall. And I'm supposed, I'm su- I reckon when he pops his head up, he has no idea where he is, but he's like, all right, right. I see. Um, here we are. Bottles all over. Let's, let's do the darn thing. And they start wreaking havoc. Some might say destruction um, in the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. under like the bowels of Hammerhall, actually in the glass blower district, because there's probably a district for everything there. Um, and thus, Sort of introduces the the invasion of the Grotz in yeah. Hammerhall Asha. One of the, probably one of the few invasions that Hammer, Hammerhall Asha has ever seen. Right. Really, um, to your point from before. Um, so, I, I, I got to talk about two more things because they're just cool. Uh, but uh, they talk about cog falcons yes. are being used to deliver missives. So I'm like, I sweet, I want to see those in miniatures. Um, but the other thing they're talking about is the Ashen Cloister. Um, which we've heard about that before. It is a specific place that is being guarded by the Stormcast, and they don't want anybody to get in. And they're like, oh, uh, the Grotz might actually do things here. So that'd be bad. So we should not have that happen, which to me just sounds like a big dun, dun, dun. Like, what's going <laughs> to happen in book two or three or whatever, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Who Who's in there? Uh, what could it be? Two. So uh, the grots pop up. They start causing mayhem, destruction, uh, all sorts of um, yeah, I mean, breaking bottles is the least of their concerns, especially considering yeah. like it's very forge based down there as well. Just from the I don't know how bottles are made, but I imagine there's fire uh, involved um, and that fire spreads way farther than any of these pyres being set by, um, you know, the faithful of Sigmar. Um, and they've really kind of like cordoned off some area uh the free guild are doing what they can to like drive them back but they're pretty ineffectual uh, a lot of the stormcasts that would have been down here are off elsewhere just conveniently for the story so like what are we going to do how are we going to drive these folks back um i know there's a contingent of uh fire slayers and so some leader in hammer hall is like hey I, I know the fire slayers are here let's reach out to them let's see if they can help us out initially fire slayers are f that um, not a big fan, uh, especially because they tried to warn this place that, hey, look, like there's threats out there uh, that you need to be warned of, and they weren't necessarily paid all that much mind. Um, but eventually, our, what is his name, Fiori, our, um, our exile, um, says, you know what? No, I have, uh, we have an agreement. We have a truce. We have an alliance with Hammerhall. I got to hold up my end of the deal. So he gets his group of fire slayers to uh, agree to do what they can to drive these grots back. Have I missed anything? Does that cover up, cover that? No, that covers it pretty good. Uh, the only other thing is just like the people following Fury, he's the last of his hold. So these are just other miscellaneous fire slayers whose homes had been destroyed. And really, they're just doing this for vengeance. The kind he cares about Hammer Hall, some of them may not as much. 
Yeah, so we got an army that cares way too much and an army that cares way too little. Yeah. <laughs> They're facing off against each other. The uh, Grimhold Exiles thread a kind of a narrow spot in uh, Fire Slayer lore. Where yeah. Specifically, they're not doom seekers. They're not slayers. Right. They didn't take the oath to find glorious death. They have a greater calling. Kind of unclear, but it seems like they're more. They gotta finish the grudge book. They like have all of the oaths of their entire people upon them. So it's yeah. not just their oath to slay, you know, and die like to a big creature. It's like also like Hammerhall was an was a was a good friend and ally to his old former magma hold, so he has to do right by them. Yep. Um, so he's a, a little bit more more complex than just a slayer. Although it seems like he's another angry dwarf that just wants to battle things, so it's really hard to <laughs> where it's different for sure. But this one has hammers, so <laughs> not he's, he's jumping. <laughs> I think the exile he he uh, he subscribes to the notion um, from Hamilton that dying is easy. Uh, living is harder. Mm, yeah. Was that uh, Hamilton or Hamilcar? Uh, I wish it was. That'd Hamilton. be a great musical. Yeah. <laughs> you better be Hamilcar. Um, so there's that. Uh, okay, Paul, now you had another point. Uh, so th- we get one more uh, character drop here a character named Catrick Laguilon mm-hmm. um, is the prime commander, I think is what they call. Yeah. Of Hammerhall. So uh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to know more about that character. Bet you will. Yeah. Um, and so the Fire Slayers eventually agree to like take on this grot threat, and boom, fight number two has begun. <laughs> Very similar to fight number one, which is to say uh, the two forces go head-to-head. Uh, special moves are used on both sides. Um, what were some highlights that you guys saw from this battle that you wanted to talk about? Um, I like... so. The model for the Ravel Rousa is he's got a huge squig skull wrapped around him. And at first I thought it was decorative, but in the story it does show up as armor, like protecting him from blasts and stuff. So I don't even know if he knew that when he put it on. I like the idea of this crowd like, oh, I'm going to wear a squig. That seems cool. And it's saving his butt several times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other highlights, other things you guys liked about this fight or things you didn't like about the fight. I, I thought it was kind of boring. <laughs> like they're just kind of like battle it out in the glass factory, but like, yeah, they, it doesn't, I don't know. They just, they eventually, the gr- the grots run away. The, uh, yeah. the, the Grimhold uses his special move, which is uh, fire attack. Fire axe um, or fire. Hammer. How you doing? Yeah. yeah. He like, he, I think he hits both hammers together and it's like a fire shock wave. Um, although interesting or not interesting in the rules, that attack is really good against big monsters, but not against hordes. But in the narrative, <laughs> right? Yeah, he wrecks a bunch of goblins. So that's why we're not talking about immersion destroyed. Book bad. Um, <laughs> so, so he like almost goes down, right? Like all his his, his contingent are dropping like flies, and uh, while he's also dropping grots like flies as well. But eventually, yeah. he ends up being one of the last guys uh, left, if not the last guy left, which would be kind of poetic considering who he is and what how he got here. And doesn't he, he like loses an eye, gets a finger chopped off. Like he's he's in dire straits before then he like does the I think he does his final movement um, where he destroys uh you know or drives off the the grots. Um I think there's a gobblepalooza uh as well, but um they get incinerated um as part of yeah. uh as uh, you do. Grot. Yeah, exactly. As you do. Uh, but he drives them back into the tunnels, into the caves. And I think um, 
what's his name? Braggett lives to fight another day. Yeah. As well. I don't think any, any of the name characters don't really die in these. Yeah. None of them die. And I just imagine like Braggett, like you mentioned, probably didn't know that he was attacking Hammerhall, but since he's the kind of dude who brags constantly and just weaves tales, he will never shut up about being the grot that invaded Hammerhall. Like, oh, of course not. He's going to be telling that story forever now. That, that fact Hammerhall will live yeah. his entire life, right? <laughs> Look at so all these been, bottles he grabbed. He's yeah. also not wrong. Like, he's gotten farther than most people. Like, of all the folks yeah. who have ever even attempted to sack Hammerhall, I'm sure he's. this is the farthest is that, than most people have gotten. So. He was in the walls. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, can, how many folks can say that? Um, so kudos to him. I'm not even a Grot fan, but kudos to that dude. He did it. Um, yeah, and speaking of surviving also, Fury, uh, he collapses into unconsciousness, but it sounds as if he gets uh, – he's he saved as well. I think he's he's healed later on uh, in ways that probably he would object to, but, like, he's not awake enough to say anything about it. So yeah. um, there's that. I'll say the story says he misses two fingers, but the model still has all of them. So oh, immersion. It's ruined that immersion. <laughs> um, all right, so we did uh, an epilogue for the first story. Was there much of an epilogue for this one? What what happens? What are the ramifications of these of this event on more of a larger scale? I wonder. So I think like the same thing happens again, where they're just like, okay, like big battle, let's regroup, and they're like, okay, we agree, Dawnbringer Crusade, and then you just <laughs> yeah. uh, they send it out east this time because. Um, I don't know. They didn't really have good justification, but they're like, okay, let's like all these cross and trogs are coming this way. Let's go also go that way. So we can, uh, you know, cleanse those areas. Yeah. And they, they bring a named character, Val Petrus, who's an arcano geologist. And he, this person is literally going, yeah, no, there's a lot of crazy things happening. It feels like big monsters, massive earthquakes, devastation. So we have to go, right? Like, that's how we get a name, right? I think he, it says, put the flame scar lion amongst the vultures. And it's like, I, yeah, he was against it. Him and the uh, fire slayers were against sending a crusade out. But there seems to be a inertia with these things that once once you mention crusade, you got to go. Um, also, probably ties into the uh, Callus and Toll sub-narrative where something's... Uh, uh, going awry with the elite of Hammerhall, yep. somebody's on the take, um, and that's probably one of the reasons these ill, ill-fated, ill-designed crusades were both launched. Yeah, uh, to the point of, I had mentioned earlier of like what we discovered through the letters. Um, basically, what they discovered is like, wow, there might be corruption like in the higher courts. We have to make sure we clear this out before we launch a Don. Oh, they launched a Dawnbringer crusade. Mm-hmm. Oops, yep. <laughs> wasn't fast enough. Yeah, uh, and it's gone. Yeah, and the the part the place they're going is called Capillaria, which uh, I don't know. We have it's a known area of yep. uh, of the the Great Parch. Um, it is is it part of the Great Parch? I think so. I think that whole continent is Great Parch. Is that right? Um, yes, because uh, the Flame Scar Plateau is. Is smaller. Flamescar Plateau is part yeah. of the Great Parch. I think that was, so, yeah. that's like north. Yeah, um, yeah, it's Capillaria, where it used to be that like rivers of clean water would uh, kind of uh, would capillary across the plains. Uh, but in the age of, in the age of chaos, they became 
just gore, gore rivers. Um, mm-hmm. so they're probably uh, still really gross. Um, so, um, yeah, we're going east. This one's going east. The, the realm of life one went north. This one's going east. All right. Yep. Well, like we did last time, because then I'll ask, what do we think's coming uh, in action then? What, what are our predictions over here now? Do we think Trogoths? I think Trogs. I think Trogoths, mm-hmm. which is why I was like, my initial reaction before reading the book was each book was going to fit like feature different factions, but it feels like Gids yeah. and Trogoths are going to be a through line for this Axian crusade. I mean, yeah, he flat out, he flat out warned. The reason I think that is because in this, yeah. just he warns them, like, there's all these Trogs over there. We shouldn't, we shouldn't go that way. And they're like, ah, but what's the, what's the big deal? There's stories of a giant Trogoth with a realm gate and Braggit is saying he woke up the biggest Trogoth ever. Yeah, but I mean, gets lie. So like that's yeah, probably yeah, nothing. Right. So. Yeah, he's just bragging. It's, it's fine. You, it, it's a yeah. ball theory. You know, I hadn't really put that together, but you're right, Phil. Or uh, not Phil, Will. You guys' names are too close. So one of you has to change yeah. them. Um, no, but like you're right. The whole point of these books is to like pick up factions, give them their spotlight, and then leave them and never talk about them again. But like there's two very clear like uh, directions or predictions that they're going in that way. It, it's odd. I'm surprised yeah. they've, or they've structured it that way. So I, I'm very interested, like the second book will give us more information. Same thing with Broken Realms, because after Broken Realms, Marathi, we're like, where could it go? Are we going to follow these plot lines? And then it's like, nope, something else entirely. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah, I, th- I think we'll definitely see Corn, uh, just because it's actually and like they're all around the place. And like looking at the core, the core rule book map, um, there's two what seem to be very Cornite uh, factions that control most of East Capillaria, okay. uh, which is the Crimson Horde and the tribes of burning of the Burning Blood. Hmm. Yeah, neither hmm. of them. I think I think pretty safely Cornite uh, bloodbound uh, warbands, but you know we'll see. Nothing safe with yeah. nothing safe with corn. Um, I have a question uh, for this group. Um, so we know, so things we that have already been revealed at this point is that there's a big old Iron Draws kit coming out. Mm-hmm. True. And book two of Dawnbringers, the teaser image has a big Iron Draws icon on the front. Yes. Do we think, it feels like they're probably going to show up in Akshi. Yeah. Uh, like fighting this crusade. But uh, I don't know. Like that is that is there a case to be made where they show up in Gyran? Nope. My case slash prediction is that I think they're going to take Braggit and the Gits and the Tragos and just kind of like fold that into the Iron Jaws, and like that will just be the destruction line for the next book. Very pessimistic of you, Will. I mean, I think it's a good way for them to continue this story thread while introducing new factions. Okay, fair. I guess. Very utilitarian of you, Will. Yes, there we go. <laughs> so, like, nor so like the the fire crusade is going to be order versus destruction, and yeah. the life crusade is going to be uh, death versus order versus chaos. Yeah, but like, like you said, there might be corn. And actually, too. So I think one is going to be chaos and destruction and order, and the other is going to be death and chaos and order. Okay. All right. I think chaos is going to be on both fronts just because of the one sentence of Archaon giving the order. Yeah. 
Well, the Varen guy, Varenvar could be working on their own. Yeah, true. They could be the working on the order. No, I don't think Bellacor has a Varengard now. A Varengard. Well, he has a whole circle, and he's recruited a whole like the whole second circle of of Urkeon's Varengard are now under Bellacor. Is it fifth circle? Ninth. Sorry, ninth. Sorry, yeah. I didn't know that. Ooh, interesting. Oh, uh, it could be Bellacor. Yeah, it could be Bellacor again, which would honestly be fitting. (laughs) True. It's a scheme in the background. That doesn't sound like Arkeon. <laughs> um, well, what do they say? There's 12, 12 factions are going to have their have something in, in these over books. twelve. Over twelve, which means thirteen. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, this one, this one did four. So, sure. like, we're on, we're yeah. on pace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other predictions or thoughts about the Axian side? Um, I don't think we're going to see much of the Fire Slayers moving forward, except we might see Fiori just like walking around, like with the leaders. But I think is that how he walks? Exactly. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm just like moving my hands like a Lego it, character. It's good. It's good that we did the video for this one. <laughs> um, but he, he, the Fire Slayers feel like the most NPC of factions. Like they introduce them, they have their cool model, but I don't feel like they're going to be a huge narrative thread. I think Fury might just like be around and like earn a name by participating in battles. But I don't think we're going to see much of them moving forward. They needed to make it a Vanguard box out of them. So. Yeah, it's going to be all Cities of Sigmar, I think, from here on out, because that's going to coincide with, you know, the meta, meta game in it. It's going to coincide with the release of the second and third book. Yeah, uh, that's something. So, hmm. so it's going to be a lot. Of, I, think, I think the Cities of Sigmar is going to be our protagonist primarily. But I think I think Fury will be there. Yeah. He'll be part of that crusade. He'll be like, you know, what helps tie us in. So the elephant in the room is we don't have Cities of Sigmar right now, right? Because Cities yeah. of Sigmar is coming next, I think it was said, right? Yep. Yep. So we don't have Dawnbringers maybe because we don't have cities yet. Yeah, because the the elephant in the room I was thinking about was there's not a Dawnbringer crusade in this book. It's the epilogue that goes, and then they launched a Dawnbringer crew and like credits. Um, so to your point, Paul, I agree. I think the second book will release at the same time as the Cities of Sigmar battle tome and like model line, and they're going to be very interwoven. That makes sense. And we've seen the timeline, right? Like those books generally line up around that time. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. It's all going to happen. Yeah. All right. Cool. Very neat. Well, uh, I think those are pretty spot on predictions, is, uh, even from a timing perspective. Um, cool. Aaron, I have. A, uh, I think. I think now since we've talked about the Crusades, yes, uh, I want to get everybody's uh, prediction. Yep. Which one? One shall succeed, oh. and one shall fail. Which one do you think, and why? I think they're both looking pretty bad, but uh, <laughs> I want to see uh, what your all thoughts are. I I think the uh, the fire one's gonna fail because they got gits going on and the gits are going. It's <laughs> OP because gits are awesome. Yeah, I will agree with that. My reasoning is like for the Iran one, they are taking advantage of a break in like Nurgle's plague. There's something positive going on that they're launching into. For actually, it's literally, yeah, things are terrible, but wouldn't that make it better if we win, right? What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> like, 
But the caveat being is it feels like that going into it. And it's Warhammer, so it's going to flip-flop a few times. Sure, true. But just based off this book, I feel like the Action Crusade is not long for this world. I want to agree because I think uh, Illyrio is probably going to have something to say. Like, like you have a goddess backing you up in Gyran, whether or not whether or not it's specific or intentional. Like, I mean, she's not going out of her way to do so. Like, there's a higher power in Gyran that, like, you can sort of go under her umbrella to some degree. But there's no yeah. no one backing you up really in Action all that much. Um, so. There's that. Hey, Pavin, what do you think? Um, I think, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, the Summer King, I think, is going to be a, quite a, a villain to mm-hmm. battle against. And yeah. Like yeah. a whole kingdom that that crusade is just marching into. I think that will be too too tough to handle. And maybe, wouldn't it be cool if we get like, and it, like a, a, a city does get founded, but it gets founded it, like in madness. And yeah, sounds like a death city. Um, I, yeah, I, I have my prediction, but I hope Haven's right, just because that would mean the Summer King shows up, and there might be a model, and I want that. Yeah, <laughs> that would be cool. Uh, right on. All right, now we'll talk about the Harbingers, maybe in more in depth, or add to uh, the things that we've already talked to talked about individually. Um, so, for example, uh, Marl Scroll Heralds. Did we miss anything? Can we? Is there things that uh, need to be touched on from the Heralds? I like the fact that they think they're like literal heralds. They're growing out, like reading they, their bones are actually scroll. No, vice versa. Their scroll scroll cases are actually bones, um, and they're spreading the good word of their of their liege lord. Uh, that's pretty neat. Any other things about the heralds? Jump out at you. Um, I think it's cool that we have like an important figure in the flesh eater courts that is not an abhorrent vampire. Um. Because for those who don't know as much about the Flesh Eater Courts, they're, like the leaders are all technically vampires. They're insane, mutated vampires, but they're still vampires. But the actual ghouls are just normal people. And this Herald is not a, a vampire. He's quote-unquote normal. They call them uh, mordants. So I like this idea of like the the little guy rising up in status within the courts and actually having models that show that. Yeah. I think two cool points they brought up is that the heralds actually like to go to, for some reason, like the uh, realm of light and they like yeah. spread out. Uh, and even though they're like these gross cannibals, they like are really enjoying like rallying the troops uh, in that realm. And I, sometimes they'll, they'll mostly like be hang out with other ghouls, but sometimes they'll join um, the uh, Osiark Bone Reapers and hang out there as like an emissary. And I don't know, it's just like, because the Osiark are like, know what they are. And they're yeah. like, they're just like, you know, you know, they're just like uh, professional soldiers. And there's this like, just crazy <laughs> person hanging out and like, you know, always telling them, like, I bet they could communicate because they're both of death. And so he's always like giving them like nonsense to, to like talk about. And he's just like, oh God, he's here. Um, I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting uh, dynamic. I, I like that they're hanging out because I think it was in Broken Realms it, or it may have been like a spinoff White Dwarf mini campaign. But the ghouls and the Osiarch, I think it was in Hish, were fighting each other. Yeah. So it seems like they got over that and they're now <laughs> friends again. So yeah. I'm just happy they could they could pull it together. Don't the way these regiments were renowned in this particular book, aren't they set up 
I don't know how the rules work, but did I make this up that like they're intentionally not meant to be part of their, their core faction, but they're supposed to be allies for other factions in their grand alliance. So like what yep. you're describing with the bone reapers is that like, this is specifically what these guys are for is to be emissaries to these other factions of death. And so like, they're probably going hanging out with like the night haunt all the time and being like, Hey, well, we're, no, where are you guys going? Let me tell you about, let me tell you about my, my liege Lord, um, as they're, you know, flying through walls and stuff. And you're like, no, let me, I, okay. Can I tell you about the good news? Um, and, um, that type of, Relationship. I like to imagine the flesh eater courts don't see the night haunt as ghosts, but just people wearing cloaks. And they'll see them pass through a wall and assume they can too, and then just jump right into it. Yeah. <laughs> are they wearing cloaks or are they just wearing sh- like sheets? Like you're just dressed yeah, exactly. like ghosts with the eyes cut out or cut out of bed sheets. Just as an aside, since we don't usually mention rules, the regiments of renown are meant to go in other armies but you still have points and rules for the harbingers to go in their native army oh yeah so it's not like you can't use them in the native army it's just you can't use the regiment so yeah so if you want to use sergerian and his group you would take a different death army and then get his special rules that way but if you wanted the Maros herald then you can just take him in any flesh eater court's army to begin with i'm going to stand by what i said because I don't care. Um, so there's yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> how about the Harbingers of Decay? Um, especially because I think this is one of the only ones, or the only one that existed pre this book. It's just an updated model. Um, but is there any updated lore, things that we didn't know about it before? Yeah, they have a like a cycle of seven. Um, so there are seven omens um, or seven terrible things that happen before the actual plague uh, goes through its uh, due, which I thought was a cool little thing. It goes back to the the last battle tome. They had a little dial that you would switch as bad stuff happened. Um, so I thought that was cool. Um, they, they're more of these leaders who gather people and then it, it talks about how they're so depressed. <laughs> <laughs> like all the other Nurgle guys are like super happy and they're like, man, these other guys are just way too happy for me, but I need them to be able to do this thing. So, yeah. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I thought it was fun. Um, I like like, but when they leave, because they're not necessarily always tied to a, a, always like the same group of Nur- Nurgle you know, detachments or something. They can sort of move independently. As soon as they leave, all the, the fun havers are like, whew, thank God that buzzkill has gone. <laughs> yeah. As party. Um, uh, other Harbinger of Decay thoughts? Um, I just think it's cool they point out like that their powers aren't coming from magic. They're literally just throwing plagues at people or doing omens, but they're not spellcasters as such. Although I think the rules-wise they are. You know, that's a, a distinction that I've only seen one other place, which is to say in a corn army, army where they make it a point yeah. to say these priests are not doing... Hey, hey, hey. They're not doing magic, man. It's just it's just literally calling down the power of their of their god, not magic at all. As if the ability to po- pull down the power of their god and use the power of that god wasn't s- still intrinsically magical. Right, um, it's a distinction without a difference. Hey, um, um, massive skulls that weep constant blood is just not magic, man. It's, it's mundane, man. It's Tuesday. Um, all right, cool. I'm gonna keep going on the line. Rabble rouses. I'm sure Paul's got more thoughts on this. What do we like about the rabble rouses? What stands out? Uh, I, I do have a slightly shocking thing. Uh, number one it says, quote, Arachnorok spiders are callous and egotistical fiends. How dare you? Mm, ouch. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, sure. And that's in the description of the Rebel Rouser. 
but the other thing is that they are able to control the Trogoths to some extent. Whenever we've seen the Trogoths previously before, it's like, oh, this one Trogoth has picked a direction, so they're just going to keep going in that direction because they they don't really think that much. So um, perhaps you might gather them if you have a big enough crowd, but like the Rebel Rousers are actually able to talk to the Trogoths and convince them to do things. So that's a new... Um, new aspect of the lore that I don't think we've really seen before. So speaking that. of beasts that they have followed them, apparently they have uh, bat squigs that uh, mm-hmm. sort of float around them too, which is fun. We haven't seen bat squigs since the bat squig in uh, Warhammer Underworlds. And so it's nice to see My that those things are, it's not just a, a, a one-off, but rather a, uh, I don't know, mainstay of squigdom in uh, the mortal realm. So I thought that was pretty neat. And finally, last but not least, the Grimhold Exile, Last of their kind, flaming hammers. Uh, like I said, prefer to live than die. Um, I feel like we might have touched on most most of the aspects of them. Do you guys have any other thoughts that need need saying? Um, I don't know if we had talked about it, but within their hammers, they carry the Zarkul, which is like a piece of the master flame that was born when Grimnir died. And, like, their goal, like Paven had mentioned, isn't to die, but to actually, like, live and carry on these O's and fulfill things. They also would like to just start a new hold with this flame, and that's kind of why they're keeping and protecting it, is they don't want everything to disappear. They want to eventually flourish and grow. And I just like that as a concept and and an ideal from people we associate with the slayers of Warhammer fantasy who are all about living fast and dying young. Um, I love this opposite twist on that. It's much less like selfish. I would say it has a bit more of outward thinking um, as opposed to turning it inward. Uh, yeah. I mean, just made me think of our boy, uh, Fajori. Um, yeah. Like you can't give him like that much, like tragic backstory and not do something with him. Right. <laughs> well, he's the last surviving member of his magma hold and he can't he must survive for some greater purpose. Like he's got to found a new hold or do something cool. Like uh, I really hope we see that later in the story. Yeah. Like he you know he he's he, he's specifically not supposed to just die. Uh right. You know, um the mainstay so, of his lore, yeah. Yeah, maybe I maybe that's another um kind of a mark in the favor of the action crusade that uh he's part of it and so yeah. like <laughs> he's got plot armor, right? plot armor. <laughs> yeah. uh yeah like when that like maybe they find they found a new magma hold with that city so there's a magma yeah. hold in that city is part of it um that would be cool yeah yeah so i had one quick thought um will had mentioned that the the most sacred inferno is the Zarkul, is the thing that's inside the axe. And I immediately thought of uh, Chaos Dwarves, because in the old world, the name of their capital was Zar Nagrund, and the name of their race was the Dawi Zar. Yeah. Spelled exactly the same way. So I'm wondering if perhaps we might have one of these founding a chaos dwarf city or i think it's possible 
Um, but I do know it's just because Czar is the dwarven slash dwarden word for fire. Oh, I totally so wonder. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's still a connection, but I, th- I just feel like they're using the same words. <laughs> yep. But to me, like, I, I think anybody who played Warhammer Fantasy Battles would be like, wait, we don't, you don't usually use that for, for good dwarves. So, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was a thought. And, and I immediately was like, wait a minute. That's, that's not a word that's typically been used. And yeah. No. Hey, I got another listener question. It's been a while since we had one. God, hey. You probably forgot about listener questions, but I didn't. I um, totally did. Chris Lynn wanted to know, Chris Lynn, uh, do any of the Harbingers bring any new ideas or aspects to their respective factions? I think the difference between the uh, Grimhold Exile and the Doomseekers, that's pretty distinct. It's a yep. new aspect to the faction. Um, go ahead. Give me more. Uh, the Marrowscore Herald, how he recruits, and the fact that he's a normal person doing it instead of a, a noble person, I think is a, a new idea. Good one. Paul? The Rabble Rouser is basically like the spirit of the law, right? Like he's he can make people happen and he can, by his own will, he can start an army, right? Not because he's showed power, but just because he's literally really loud and walks through and starts something. So we have a Grot that actually has the ability to raise an army and a class of Grot. So I think that that's kind of cool. I like that a lot. Uh, Paven, do you have any? You don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, no, I, I think they, I think we've covered all their, their interesting bits, but I think broadly they're extensions of their factions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One other distinction I'd say is that the Harbingers of Decay are bummers, whereas the rest of the Nurgle's fun. Though there are a couple other Nurgle things that are bummers too, though. I can't remember all of them, but like, I think some of the, one or two of the heroes is lame as well. The, the gardener, the gardener. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. He's yeah. curmudgeon Uh, very cool. All right. Uh, I, I kind of I feel like I should maybe ask some more questions. You guys in the mood for some more listener questions? Let's go for it. All right. Chris Ling had another one. Uh, and actually, it's sort of shared. Uh, it's, it's sort of a twofer. Um, Chris Ling asks, are non-human races well represented in the Dawnbringer Crusades? And then Warbross Grimdaka asked, uh, how is the non-human representation? And uh, do you think, based on the book, we'll see the end of or major reduction in non-humans in the cities of Sigmar roster. Okay. I want to stop and focus maybe just on the okay. non-human <laughs> side of things. Yeah. Um, uh, in that, did we get much of that in the book? Well, it's tricky because we didn't focus too much on Dawnbringers, but what was your guys' interpretation um, of the non- non-human side of things? My joke is that this is all non-humans because not a single one of these factions we talked about are human. <laughs> uh, uh, but as far as like the Crusades themselves, there's, no information. I mean, technically, the flesh eater courts are human. They Insane. were just like how Nurgle used yeah. to be human. Yeah, yeah, they're all mortals. It's mostly human. <laughs> to not answer the question, but answer the question, I think that we don't really learn much about anything of the Dawnbringer Crusades, which is almost no news is just not news um, in there. Uh, more to come, uh, both of you, uh, and I think probably we'll get most of it in the Cities of Sigmar book, uh, but then the continuation of the storyline in any future Dawnbringer books as well. Am I right? Yes, you're right. Uh, I will say the like the few data points we have is like all of the named people in Hammerhall, with the exception of Jory, are humans. Yes, like all of the the everybody on the conclave, all the the commanders that are mentioned, like you know, in one lines. I think they're all human. Yeah, yeah, and that's a noteworthy data point because the only non-human is from a completely different faction entirely. So the only only cities of Sigmar representation that we have are humans. So you can extrapolate. Um, 
I don't think there's an elf in the book. No, they talk about specifically how they're not like the. They say the Sylvaneth aren't there to help. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's wait for the Sylvaneth. No, let's go do it. Is Lariel still an elf? I guess she was in the beginning. Um, Ooh, that's a whole thing. <laughs> when is uh, she's listed under Elven deities, even though it says she was reborn as something different? Oh, hmm. well, but then does that mean Teclas and Tyrion aren't Elven deities? Yeah, they're. I think they're all Elven deities. Yeah. Yeah, All right. There's one, another non-human we didn't see, um, specifically uh, Aventus Firestrike, who is supposed to be the Stormcast Magister of Hammerhall. He's the big mage on a Toralon, and I would have uh, thought in a book so in depth with Hammerhall, we would have seen him. Uh, he's busy that day. Yeah, he he couldn't make it. Things he's defending do. the Ashen Cloister. Yeah, slept in. Wink, wink, um, so yeah. actually. Ashen Cloister, before moving on to the next thing, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in the Stormcast Battle Tome, there's a one of those little lore snippets is Bastian Carthalos himself goes down beneath Hammerhall Akshi into the Ashen Cloister, and people just hear fighting for days, and then he just comes out covered in soot and says, I don't want to talk about it, and like leaves. Yeah. So there's definitely something going on down there. And he's like, don't go down there. He's like, yeah, don't. I think we'll see. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, it's come up multiple times now. So, like, it's another one of those um, hanging, uh, tantalizing uh, bits that may come to fruition eventually. Or maybe it won't, and they're just messing with us. Um, All right. I'll do it again. Another question from Fredericks. Uh, They ask, to which parts of the mortal realms, outside of the direct domains of Sigmar and Chaos, uh, would you most and least like to be sent? Let's focus on most. Um, and yes, I'm asking this question because folks didn't, not too many questions were asked of this episode. So we're going to ask these ones, these fun ones instead. Um, where would you most, where would you want your Dawnbringer Crusade to get sent? Uh, Will? I'm going to go with Hish or Haish, however it's pronounced. Realm of Light, mostly because you can kind of see everything going on. And even if it's not Sigmar controlled, the Lumineth have kind of tamed a lot of it anyways. So I feel like it would just be a little bit easier mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they even call the lands like what the 10 paradises that sounds nice. that sounds pretty good sure uh i think the correct answer here is azir uh i think if i was a rich <laughs> azurite baron i would put my kid in the aziri dawnbringer crusade you know just to be <laughs> sure that there's nothing else out there um <laughs> You know, and march, march, march around there. Just Until they come across like a Shagoth or something, um, yeah. which I think ex- exists no, at we, one point we, in this then year. We call, then, we, uh, then we call the Stormcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Paul, where would you uh, where would you go on a Dawnbringer cruise in? Um, I would go to the gloaming. Ooh. Uh, because the hidden one? Like the hidden one. Yeah, totally. I would totally go there. Uh, it's super well defended. No uh, crusade God knows it exists. Completely, doesn't they don't have to? They just direct it away and they go there. But uh, there's obviously some civilization there since there's been um, a bunch of Illuminate there for forever, um, rotating and doing stuff. Um, so there must be some kind of agriculture or something like that. So and there's no native enemies. I mean, so it'd be super sweet. I mean, in his ear, like you still got to deal with those like. You know, rabid griff hounds and whatnot. I'm like nobody wants that. <laughs> yes, Azir still has a case of the rabies um, that they need to be careful. Um, I would 
not go anywhere, nor would I do anything that would require me to take the coin, uh, frankly, because I would rather be poor. I would rather be destitute in the gutter than have to go out and Dombrey and Crusade. I hate camping, frankly. Like, so I don't, there's no chance of getting me out there. Um, so there's that. Dodge that question. Um, do you guys have any other points or topics or things that you want to bring up uh, before we give our final thoughts on this year? One other topic that I think is important for like the listeners to know. Always looking up for the listener. Even though there is no Dawnbringer Crusade, we do get information on the people that will be joining these crusades. Uh, and actually, a lot of the people that are talking about having to join the crusades are those whose entire neighborhoods and districts were burned down in the cleansing flames. And in Gairan, it's all the people who got pulled out of those outposts that are now taken over in the past, especially with things like dominion and stories about Dawnbringer crusades. We always hear about like, Oh, it's the, the outlaws and the outcasts taking the coin for a pardon here. It's just literally a lot of people whose homes were destroyed due to the fact that they just live in the mortal realms needing to go get a new home. So if your thought of the Dawnbringer Crusades are that it's like the lowliest of the low and the the scoundrel aspect. These two Crusades are not lining up to be that necessarily, even if it seems like the leaders are corrupt. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it and a, a, a departure from what we've seen before. Very cool. Other thoughts? Keep them coming. If you have Warhammer TV... Um, I would definitely recommend watching the Neve Black Talon series because it may or may not tie in to the narrative uh, for this book uh, slash campaign. So does it? Fun. Yep. I'm, I, I'm not at the end, so maybe it, it gets there. Okay. In the beginning, did you've seen? Eh, it's going to be spoilers. But sure. We'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> the first episode includes something that is very similar to what's going on. Okay. Not exactly I mean, the same. Yeah. Sure. Oh, the yeah. Okay. Um, good to know. Good to know. Any other thoughts? Because I'm then I'm going to ask you, or yeah, then I'm going to ask you your opinion on the book as a whole. All right. Here we go. Um, in the beginning order. Uh, hey, Paul. I'm asking you first. What did you uh, What you think of Dawnbringers Harbingers Harbingers? I enjoyed it. I would probably give it six out of eight spider legs. Uh, didn't have any like super momentous realm changing things happening uh, which i was a little surprised by um but that being said it it obviously is a it is set up to be a prequel uh, to what is happening um and so i I could wish it for it to be something else but for what it was i I think it was fun and engaging and i enjoyed it a lot it felt a lot like two expanded battle boxes Mm. that were kind of mashed together, if that makes sense. And then each of the, the boxes themselves were half of a battle box. Uh, and, and so I enjoyed that aspect. I enjoyed that we got two different realms. I enjoyed that we got two different bespoke stories. I enjoyed that we got four new characters. Um, and I think their motivations were fun and interesting. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Cool. All right. Uh, I'm going to go Paven next. Paven, what did you think of this book? Uh, I enjoyed it. I liked reading it. I like Idris Sigmar. I like the narrative. So like, this is all good stuff. <laughs> I think on the scale of like what we could have gotten, like the Broken Realms book, all the Broken Realms books kick this book, but this book's butt. 
um, just as far as like excitement, impact, like twists. Like when they when they killed Nagash, I was like on the floor. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this was like, you know, I but it's like this could have been in like the back of two books or like it didn't necessarily have enough meat on it to be its own thing. Uh, and it's it's such a tease because like the Dawnbringer never even Dawnbringer never even shows up. Like where is he? <laughs> where is, where <laughs> where is, is he? he? Bringer of the dawn. <laughs> He'll be anywhere. I I, I agree. I, but Will, what what'd you think of the book? Yeah, so I'm gonna give it a seven and a half out of ten. Um, and I will say it's not because it's not the same scale as Broken Realms. I actually really like that it's a more zoomed in story that we're not dealing with gods fighting each other, but it's people. It, every point it has gained in my review is because it's that good. And every point it's lost is because it's not a Dawnbringer story. Yeah. It, this should not be like book one of Dawnbringers. This is book zero, the prologue to Dawnbringers. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I do hope we, we keep the zoomed in focus. I do hope we carry it forward, but it just, it didn't deliver on the title of Dawnbringers. Uh, and that's why I lost a few points with me. Um, I agree with a lot of what everyone has said. I know we shouldn't necessarily try and, well, no, I don't know if this is true, but I, I can see the desire to not compare this to Broken Realms, but too dang bad, because Broken Realms is really the high watermark of uh, Age mm-hmm. of Sigmar campaign books. And just think, like, the Marathi book, like, and all the things that happened in that book, like, it came, it landed with a bang. It was huge and momentous. And I understand liking zoomed-in stories. That's that's great, and I like those too. But, like, when we're dealing with... I, I look forward for years to campaigns like this because i want the big story i can get zoomed in stories at any time like at any point and it, it that can be sort of peppered in all throughout the time or the lifespan of a um edition of age of sigmar uh it's now where we're supposed to be getting those big monumental stories with characters that we know that we've known forever that have big impacts on the world like i've been so looking forward to this time frame um and this wasn't bad but this isn't what it wasn't what i was looking for i think for what it, it was a good example of the thing that it was but i was looking for something else i wanted it one way but it's the other um and so it's not to say that the subsequent books can't also get there and i, I bet you they will or you know to some element but like it's hard it's just it, it's impossible for me to not compare it to the, the previous ones and just how big they were even the ones i didn't like which is to say kragnos were still monumentous and like <laughs> earth shaking literally earth shaking um and so uh that's that's too bad um but i will say this uh my favorite types of things in age of sigmar are these campaign books these are my favorite things that get released so even a one that i'm not as thrilled about is still one of my favorite things to read um in the setting these are my favorite things to consume and so um heck i would rather read something like this over a, a, a new rehashed battle tome any day so because of that i still really did enjoy it because it's the type of stuff that i like to read um so i still still recommend it. It's still good, probably going to be important, and I'm sure it's going to feed into what comes next in the subsequent novels as well. If it doesn't, that would be weird. Um, okay. Any other final thoughts before we close her out? I think I might do it. Um, if you want a little bit more action and a lot more factions, let keep repeating it, but um, this White Dwarf Flashpoint is really going to town, um, and I know it's been in White Dwarf, so it's not in a book form, but I don't even know how many entries we've had, but I, I just picked up the new White Dwarf 
yesterday, and they've got a huge siege for the city that they have, Earthquake City. They've been circling around, and they're going to have, like, a massive final battle, and they have all these different forces and stuff. So, like, I mean, I feel like there's going to be some stuff that probably ties in. And so I would highly recommend it. We're, we're seeing a new era of tying things in. I think is one of the things that was really interesting about this book is that I feel like Neve Black Talon tied in. I feel like uh, Undercity tied in. I feel like the White Dwarf books tied in. I feel like the Black Library books tied in, especially with Callus and Toll, and we're getting Erica Zenth. Like, we're getting a lot more whole cloth narrative instead of a bunch of narratives that are all kind of bouncing off of each other in their own little space. And so I really enjoy that aspect of this story and the Callus and Toll um, voice in that really brought it home to me. So I, I thought that was a super fun new way of uh, kind of telling what's going on. So when are we going to do that? When am I going to be able to listen to the story phase summarize what happened in all the flashpoints? Cause I don't buy every white dwarf. Yeah, no, no, those, re- those like it, I, for some reason those are harder to consume for me than mm-hmm. like a battle tome because it's just like two pages and I'm like it's hard to get me really excited. But I want to know everything that happened. Uh, so when when's that episode coming, Aaron? Don't look at me. It's not like I don't have all of the white dwarfs like right behind these boxes. Right here. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I haven't read them either, so there's that. Uh, but I will put that in the submission box that is stuffed that I've never unlocked and opened. Um, it goes right into the shredder. <laughs> it just looks like a garbage can. Yeah. The round file. Hey guys, it's time for our reforging. But Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, uh, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord. Drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. Paul, where can they find you online? At PJ Shard. Uh, Paven, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, Mortal Realms Discord. That's pretty much it. Hey, well, where can they find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, Mortal Realms Discord as Sever on Twitter uh, as at Age of Sever. Uh, you can also find Paul and I on the Path to Story podcast, and you can talk to us via at Path to Story on Twitter as well. Cool. I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at Dos Asos and probably everywhere else at Dos Asos as well. Um, and you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.mortalrealms.com. For stretch. Um, what do you guys think about the rains? Is this the first we'd heard about the rains, or had, had it been mentioned before? This is two months soon, Aaron. Two months soon. I don't get it. Too too soon? Is that what you mean? Yeah, but but monsoon. Okay, sure. I constant you, took, rain. you took one word and changed it to another word. I get it. Right, nice. Um, uh, what is our? Who are the? Uh, for for uh, for who does uh, Sigmar's? Uh, oh man, I'm gonna hold on. Edit this out. Okay, I will not <laughs> stuck in. I never never edited. I only edit myself, myself, and myself alone. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, oh god, I'm trying. I'm trying to do uh, do something uh, audio. Yeah, I, I think I see where he's going. Okay, uh, yeah, so I have to come up with something for for who 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 never who. Uh, 
For who is uh, only can defend the rail? Or, uh, <laughs> only the faithful. Only the faithful. Only the faithful. There we go. Cut out the last fifteen minutes. And I'll come it should be. Um, see, it's just going to say for who, and then we're all going to go only the faithful. <laughs> yeah. For who only the faithful. <laughs>